genre exposure of film podcast. Join us as we explore the wide world of cinema, broaden our horizons one movie at a time. I'm one of your hosts, Dustin, and as usual, I'm here with Michael. Hey, guys. And Jason. Hey, everyone. What's up, guys? How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing well. How about you, Michael? I'm doing pretty good. How about you, Dustin? Dreadful. Dreadful? Dreadful. What? Dreadful. Seriously? Why? Uh, a lot of workplace drama. Oh, more workplace drama. You should do like me and not work. That would be nice. Well, why yeah. doesn't your woman support you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, it's, it's beyond the scope of the podcast. But it's one of those things where it's just like you know, weird like middle management stuff happens, and it's beyond our control. Sure, yeah, you know, frustrating stuff. That is frustrating. I'm really glad my wife doesn't listen to her podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be in so much shit. <laughs> um, so today we are continuing our series for Giallo January, Whoop. looking at more Gialli. <laughs> It's the last one, right? It's the last one, yes. We've gone over time. This will be coming out in February. That's okay. So we're a little over the line, but Giallo is eternal. That's right. Uh, but first, like always, we're going to warm up and talk a little bit about what we watched. And again, before that, I want to shout out another podcast, because we are part of the Prescribed Film Podcast Network. Whoop, whoop. And Damn we're my. under no compulsion to do any of these shout-outs. I just want to, because I think it's a good idea to give back and show the love to other podcasts. That's right. So recently I checked out Brett and Tony with Ash and Abe. Cool. Uh, it's a, just, you know, a four kind of the discussion, four friends come together to talk about a topic. Um, they, I think they run like every week, like every Wednesday. So they kind of drop along the same time we do, except they're weekly. And it's about every other week they do this B movie thing where they watch like a B movie. They can find streaming and kind of do like, you know, the in-depth breakdown and your thoughts and stuff. Nice. And then the off week, it's like just like broader discussion topics kind of thing. So it's not always a movie or something. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, super fun. They all have a good like rapport with each other. So you can tell like they're good friends and you kind of get that same like vibe as you listen to it. Like, What's it like to have good friends to podcast? Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. do you think people yeah. think we're good friends? I don't know. I wonder. <laughs> right in. Genre exposure. I don't think we're that good <laughs> enough <laughs> actors. I don't think we can pull that off. Um, yeah, let us know. Are we really friends? No, but they're super fun, and Brett's a really nice guy. He's, like, commented on a lot of our episodes yeah, and listens to yeah. us, so wanted to throw a little love back toward them. You should go check them out. I'll put them in the show notes, and notably, if you're riding high on this Giallo kick, last year they've done a few Jolly as episodes. Cool. And the one I really wanted to highlight is they covered uh, The Red Queen Kills Seven Times. That's one of your favorites. Yes, yeah, so it's one of my all-time favorite Jolly ever. It's anything, a good one. So. It's not the best, but it's a good one. Yep. If you've listened to some of our stuff, I think Unsung Horrors is doing some Giallo too this mm-hmm, month, right? I think so they are, and yeah. one of theirs uh, crossed over with ours. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think. Which one was it? Uh, it they did. Uh, um, I don't know. One of the captions was, um, "And I was killed by a dildo this big," yeah. and then <laughs> and then our movie. Uh, knife plus heart. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yes. A little heads up for this one. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, go check them out. Uh, if you want more Jello goodness, you can go dig in their archives from some of the stuff they've covered. Awesome. Jason, what you've been watching? Okay, well, I, um, I have to talk about the new James Bond movie, No Time to Die. You're a big Bond fan. I'm a big Bond fan. No Time to Die, Mr. Bond. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was... Uh, the end of an era. Y- yeah, and I'm... I'm Man, you know, I mean, Casino Royale came on the scene, and that's one of my favorite Bond films. It's amazing. Yeah, it's really good. And it did so much to revitalize the franchise. And they just, they could never reach that high again, in my opinion. And the one before this, Spectre. Ooh. It's pretty rough. I, ooh. 
Which one was that one? Oh, exactly. Oh, Spe- <laughs> right, yeah. The one, but Spectre is the one, the one that you're talking about. before this one, yes. Yeah, Sp- Spectre okay. was bad. I thought you were talking about the one before Spectre. And I that kinda, was Skyfall. I kind of like the end sequence of Skyfall. Well, Skyfall's okay. Mm-hmm. It's better than Quantum of Solace, and it's better than Spectre. I actually don't even remember Quantum of Solace. Yeah, well. Isn't that most of the like Bond eras, though? There's usually like one super standout film, and then the rest are kind of... <sighs> I, I would disagree. Arranged but, around. Know. No. I mean, if you're talking about Pierce Brosnan, maybe. Maybe I like <laughs> Pierce Brosnan. That's okay. I like Timothy Dalton. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so No Time to Die is an improvement over Spectre, but it's still just... <laughs> I mean, that's not really saying Yeah, a it's lot. a low bar. It's an improvement <laughs> over this pile of dog but shit. it's just like, I don't know. It's trying to do so many things at once, maybe because it is the last one with Daniel Craig. Right. Uh, and it's just... Like, he's got a girlfriend in this one, right? And she was Inspector. Mm-hmm. And nothing against the actress. She's perfectly fine. But it's just, she looks so much younger than Daniel Craig. It's very distracting. <laughs> I think she's like 35 and Craig is in his 50s. I mean. But he's James Bond, so. Right. I mean, that's nothing new. Mm-hmm. I mean, Roger Moore was making out with, um, oh, what's her name? And A View to a Kill. The Playboy model. Anyway. And Sean Connery has always looked old. <laughs> Even when he was 30, he looked like yeah. 50. That's true, um, that's true. But anyway, so that's a little distracting. You don't really buy the romance. And they keep referencing um, On Her Majesty's Secret Service, the one with George Lazenby. And mm-hmm. like, it plays some of the music from that. And they mm-hmm. repeat some of the lines. And that just makes me think of a much better movie than this one. <laughs> uh, Isn't that the problem with these nostalgic yeah exactly it's just trying to coast on old stuff not making up anything new but one of my biggest problems was i knew um anna de armas was in this yeah she's cool she has one scene really and Mm. she is better than anyone else in the movie she steals the one scene she's in that's ridiculous her action sequences are more convincing and more interesting than anyone else's and there's like another 007 agent. That's not a big spoiler that happens right. at the very beginning. Is it Sean Bean? Did they bring him back from the dead? <laughs> it's not Sean Bean. Um, it's uh, Shonda Lynch. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. And there, she, there was a bunch of like... Good. They don't do anything with her character. about that, right? When it was announced. Yeah, think, yeah, which is stupid. But anyway, they just didn't do anything with her character. Like, she was kind of pointless. She didn't do enough. And Ana de Armas was kicking ass, and she should have been in the entire well, movie. Well, and here's the opinion. thing. From the trailer... You see that dress that Anna de Armas yeah. is wearing, and yeah. I'm like, you wouldn't put that in more scenes, like, right? Right. <laughs> I mean, she, dude, seriously, she steals the movie, and she's in one scene. Uh, well, I was actually going to watch it for her, but I'm not. Anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so cool. anyway, I mean, if you're a Bond fan, if you're a completist, you're going to watch it if you haven't seen it already. There's not much I can say about it other than I was disappointed, and I hope that the next iteration of Bond is. Better. Do you have a, a favorite for who you'd like I to see? I do not. I would like to see an unknown. You know, I would That's like, fair. you know, pick someone we haven't, we're not tired of seeing already. It ain't going to happen. No, of course not. It'll be some obvious, painfully boring <laughs> choice like Bruce Brosnan. So since they since they kind of teased it with this film, do you think maybe like uh, a woman 007? Do you think that's in the cards? You know, I hope not. And not for any bullshit misogynistic reasons. But Michael, the- isolate that audio. <laughs> <laughs> Pull that quote. I hope not. Because, I mean, I don't... I want to see more strong female characters, but don't just change the gender of an existing character. Mm-hmm. There are lots of female characters you can draw from literature and you know comics and stuff you can do. Presumably there's more 00 agents, right? Right, yeah. We've only ever seen, like, what, 006 from GoldenEye? Yeah, not very yeah. many of them, right, yeah. So... 
I don't know. But then you have the problem that if you create too strong of a female character, all of the um, oh the the neck beards and their parents' <laughs> basement are going to be mad because you emasculated James Bond. I'm like, well, no. I and mean, she'll in- inevitably be a Mary Sue because you know why could she be as good as Bond at something? Yeah, yeah. I say just make them all awesome because it's a spy film, and that's that's kind of what you're there for <laughs> is just to see a bunch of badasses doing cool yeah, stuff. Yeah, seriously. And cool gadgets. Anyway, mm-hmm. so okay, little disappointing, but that's my report. Well, I know Dustin's got a rant prepared. Maybe he should go last for his. So yeah, mm-hmm. I'll do mine because mine's pretty middle of the road bland. Um, well, the last time I kind of copped out because I, I hadn't really had time to watch anything um, and kind of did a TV show, I think. Did I do TV? Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah, I forgot what I did. Um, so I am a sucker for all things um, martial arts films. Yes. You guys know this. I think the listeners know this. Um, I'm also a huge sucker for Donnie Yen, mm-hmm. which um, if anybody listening is not really that familiar with Donnie Yen, his American debut is pretty much Rogue One mm-hmm. as uh, Chirrut Imway. One of the best parts of that film, too, I think. Yeah. Uh, horribly underused. Mm-hmm. Just completely misused. Um, but either way, that's a whole discussion topic there. <laughs> um, but I watched one of his newer ones that popped up on Amazon Prime called Big Brother. Mm. Um, I saw the trailer for this a couple of years ago because it... Uh, IMDb says 2018, but thought to be confused with Big Step Brother, yeah. which is a different, <laughs> very series. different. That actually <laughs> might play into Knife Plus Heart. <laughs> um, but the trailer that they showed for that that I saw when they were announcing this movie was Donnie Yen being Donnie Yen and kicking ass in a locker room, and I was like, okay, that's normal Donnie Yen stuff. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll bite. So that's not what this movie is at all. Uh, Donnie Yen is a former um, Marine. Mm-hmm. That now has gone back to Hong Kong, and he's going to be a teacher. And he's going to impact the lives of all of these kids that are failing miserably in school. And How it do basically, I these kids? That's essentially what it turns into. <laughs> yeah, it's all those 80s films where they got like action stars to be like a babysitter or it's school this teacher. Movie. Yeah, yeah. It's this movie. And like he's trying to... It's all of these archetypes of students that he's... Does he kick their ass? <laughs> no. <laughs> so it's funny because... It's very. It's produced by Donnie Yen as well, mm-hmm. and it's very typical. Um, if you've watched many Asian films, it's very typical mainstream Hong Kong media where it's got a, a very prevalent moral stance. And so this one takes the stance of we are pushing our kids too hard to learn the like to learn how to test and not teach them how to learn to learn for enjoyment and to be well rounded human beings well, what are they who don't play any fucking video games yeah so. well one of the kids is a gamer and so then that film's probably outlawed now right um <laughs> hong kong gets by with Woo. it for the most part and donnie yen gets by with it because he's donnie yen mm. so it's horribly cheesy as fuck and they make up scenes so that donnie yen can have fight scenes <laughs> <laughs> so this one the, there's like two fights in the movie um first disappointing part um, they make up a scene where one of the kids ends up working for a mob boss. And um hate when that happens. And the mob boss sets up a UFC fight. Um, and But the kid is supposed to help them throw the match. And it all goes awry. And so Donnie Yen has to come in and save the kid. Mm. It is a killer fight scene. Mm-hmm. It's really good. Very well choreographed. It's got... Dustin, I don't know if you know... Do you know much about Donnie Yen? 
Eh, a little bit. So he has well a done. he's notorious for paying stuntmen a little extra to just let him kick them. I mm. wouldn't. I wouldn't. No. No, thank you. Um, no, risky, like, risky uh, opportunity. Oh, it's a. He's notorious for that. Mm. And that's why some of the shots are so brutal and they look so good because he legit kicked the fuck out of them. Right. There's some of that in here. Oof. Like you can tell there's somebody got paid a little extra just to get kicked by Donnie Yen. Um, mm. So mafia boss recruiting a kid. But I will say kudos to this movie's fight scene because the fight in the locker room actually has Donnie Yen fighting naked men. <laughs> <laughs> There's yeah. no, you don't see any wiener, but no. it's naked dudes fighting Donnie Yen, and I was like, well, I mean, that's kind of funny. That is funny. So I avoid this movie though. Okay. Don't. <laughs> oh, okay. Right. Unless you just want to see Donnie Yen fight some naked dudes. <laughs> Who doesn't? It's just not worth your time. That like, should have been Rogue One. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like some of those later uh, Jackie Chan films in a way. It kind of has that feel, and he mm. uses a lot of. I mean, Donnie Yen always uses the environment, mm-hmm. like he's very Jackie Chan. You know oriented that way by using stuff in the environment and the action sequences. Don't say orient. That's not the term we use, Michael. Wow. Wow. Okay. If you want to cut that, you can. (laughs) Wow. No. No, I brought it up. I'm leaving you. You brought it up. (laughs) I said oriented. (laughs) Jackie Chan oriented. And I think your racist brain heard something else. And now the whole world knows. Listeners, write us and let us know if you think that was funny or not. Uh, anyway. Um, this is a bunch of like, no, no, it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. This is dumb. You guys should stop doing what you're doing. So, yeah, Big Brother. It's on Amazon Prime. There's really no reason to watch this other than like if you're just a diehard Donnie Yen fan and you have to see everything he's done. But, yeah. Huh. It's, that's disappointing. That's, that's two disappointments. <laughs> Dustin, I hope you can save us with a non-disappointing movie and or TV show, but preferably a movie. Uh, I've got a movie. All right. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. What is but it? It's going to be disappointing. Oh, no. <laughs> I need to talk about... So this is a bad rant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I need to talk about the new Scream. Okay. Uh, it's just dropping. By the time this gets to people's ears, it'll well have been good and out. And you've okay. probably seen it if you want to see it. Sure. I may, I'm not going to give any name drops, but I might dip into a little bit of spoilers, so if you're super worried about that still, you should just skip ahead to whenever you hear the music cue of the uh, the transition. Yes. Skip um, ahead to this timestamp. <laughs> Are you trying to like, fake people out? <laughs> that should be the new bumper music, just you doing that. The acapella version. <laughs> So no, no, no. So there's new Scream. Uh, Scream 5, they're just calling it Scream because, of course, they are. Um, <laughs> Evil dies tonight. <laughs> and that's a very fitting thing to bring up because the first thing I can say about this film is it's it's like the reboot cool that you expect uh, it's going to be. Um, I like that term, though. <laughs> reboot cool. Because it just sounds like well, you're having a stroke while you're trying to say it. Reboot cool. Well, it's like you know, people said they're reboot sequels. They're like, you know, what do you call them? But I, I like to say reboot cool. Makes sense. It, it, like it sounds dumb, and it should be the name they have because this is a dumb idea. Do you smell toast? <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. So yeah, it's like it's the same. It, it's a new film. They got a new cast of characters, uh, beat for beat across the movie. They kind of just redo the first film again, because of course that's like Hollywood's obsessed with that now since The Force Awakens. Sorry, Jason, I'm going to be shitting on Star Wars a lot. I think it goes back minutes. before Force Awakens, but okay. No. Where do you think it started? Oh, you put me on the spot. I don't know. Okay, think about that. I'll think about that. Um, yeah, but otherwise it's beat for beat. You know, the opening's the exact same opening with the phone call. 
Um, of course, they put in their, like, you know, subversions where they change, like, one little thing and they're like, oh, aren't we so clever? But then it's like, well, not really because you've already done this once before, so. Okay. Yeah. And, it's, you know, it plays out the same way. And then about halfway in, you've got the old cast that comes back, uh, which is what, like, you know, there's Sydney, Gale, and Dewey are pretty much, like, the mainstays at this point. They're okay. still, like, right. living old, old guard. <laughs> And it's the same thing, you know, it's like they show up in the Millennium Falcon and they meet all the uh, the new cast and then they mentor them and try to help them and deal with Ghostface. Dewey, I think we're home. Yeah, it's, it's the same <laughs> shit. It's the same movie that they've been making for years and years and years. Because they don't think that younger people want to watch a bunch of 60-year-olds run around and stuff like that. And my thing is maybe then they just don't bring back those old people and maybe they just... Or they find a more natural way to bring in young and old and... Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just very ham-fisted every time, and it's just one of these things where it's like, they don't do enough with the old cast that if you're like a new watcher and this is your first scream, you're not going to be endeared to them at all. Mm. And because they are trying to bring in those old people and have the old plot and the stuff of that be relevant, they've also not spent the time to develop the new cast the way that if you were to watch the first scream, they spend the time that you'd like, oh, you know these people now and you care about them. And then when things go crazy at the end, you're invested. That's mm-hmm. an interesting argument that I actually cared about them. I didn't. but well, <laughs> Ideally, if the film works for you, they've made you care about them. There, there were some decent characters in Scream. I'm not the biggest fan of Scream. The first one's fine. Mm-hmm. It, I, I think the whole movie coasts in the first ten minutes. Yeah, we've said that before. Yeah. Without those first ten minutes, <laughs> right. that movie is just a throwaway. But it's not bad. So, you know, then there's a bunch of buildup. They, they do the same shit. Uh, this is where, I won't say the name, but they kill one of the old cast to try to make this big... <gasps> nostalgia play emotional payoff thing where you're like no why Mm -hmm. they really killed Han Solo I don't believe it Uh." um (laughs) Ford's been trying to get Han Solo killed for 40 years and then it comes down to the end it's the same thing they they contrive a reason that they go to Stu's house and have the big party and it's the same climax and it's the same twist that's oh there's two killers and they teamed up together and then they kind of drop and I won't reveal the killers. I'll keep that you okay. know, invested too. But the killers were on the poster. <laughs> yeah, that's the marketing. Yeah, one of these people is the killer. Well, psych, there's two of them. <laughs> um, Whoa. <laughs> and then this is kind of where they like drop like their twist on... You know, because every Scream kind of innovates on the meta-ness of mm-hmm. Scream. And so their whole motivation is that they are crazed, obsessed fans of the Stab franchise... Mm-hmm. which is the running, like, you know, in-universe films based on the Ghostface killings. Mm-hmm. And the recent ones have sucked so bad that they really hate them. Oh, my God. And they even mentioned in the film that's like, uh, it's like, I think it's supposed to be like Stab 8. And it just got renamed to Stab. They took out the number. And they say it's directed by that Knives Out guy. So they're directly referencing, like, the Last Jedi debacle. But it becomes this weird, like, social commentary about, like, oh, the toxic fandom is bad, and this is what happens when fans that are, like, really angry at movies just go too far. And oh, yeah, Hollywood keeps telling us not to get mad at the shitty movies they're making. Yeah, and that's my problem with it, is it's <laughs> the studio preaching to you that you need to just, like, shut up and fucking yeah. take it. Shut up, eat your popcorn, pay your money, and watch this piece of crap. And it's insulting and it's offensive, and it's because it portrays them, and the it tries to make them the villains, and it's like... Well, number one, they're obviously crazy because anyone that would jump from like, I hate this film, because that's their final motivation is that like, they think the movies, like they're, they're, ooh, they're crazy. So they think the films are bad because the killing stopped. And if we orchestrate all of this and make a new series of murders happen, 
there will be content that will make the films good again. <laughs> and that it's so fucking stupid. And then in the end, it's the same thing. Sydney gets a gun and they die and blah, blah, blah. It's a little different, of course, because they're like, oh, we sure. subverted what you thought would happen. But I'm fucking done with the reboot cool. <laughs> we know the Texas Chainsaw. Reboot cool dies tonight. Tomorrow. <laughs> we know that that Texas Chainsaw is coming, and they already oh, said like we're, Netflix thing. Yeah. We're ignoring everything but the first film. Again, going to come again. back. Then Hellraiser as well. Hellraiser. There's two Hellraisers. One that might be good because they're going to try to like source it to the novel up, but the David Gordon Green one, I just have no faith in at all. Yeah, isn't that the one that at least Michael Doherty is writing on? That's that's something. That's something mm. we can. I have no faith. Well me either what they're, they're doing the exorcist they're gonna do the same shit with the exorcist I'm, I'm did they just do an exorcist series yeah god just new franchises think of okay we're, we're not gonna do knife plus heart today we're just gonna sit here and bitch about stuff for a while is that I, cool so when Dustin asked though like when do you think it started in my mind I think the current phase of this to me started with uh, Abrams Star Trek mm. yes okay I would say Maybe. that's probably and the first one... But I don't know, because the first one is so different, because they show you the old universe, they, and they, like, in plot, set up a new universe. They do, and yeah, then they this, turn still, around and fucking just, do the same thing again, though. And, it's another revenge story. It's Wrath of Khan all over again, which is what all the Abrams Star Trek they, movies Yeah, literally all three of them are Wrath of Khan. Some guy wanting revenge. It's every movie. <laughs> but I think that's probably... But I don't know if it has the formula that... All yeah. of them have now. Well, that Ghostbusters remake came out in 2015, too, didn't it? Same year as Force Awakens? No, I don't know. I put it out of my head. Maybe that was 2016. Yeah. It's probably, it's probably better. I don't know. <laughs> um, that one's best forgotten. So I guess you could technically blame J.J. Abrams for a lot of it. Cause, you oh, know, I probably, do blame him for a lot of things. Because, <laughs> I mean... Okay. Uh, and yeah, I hate to be negative, but that's just... Oh, that's where I'm falling down on that. Well, where I, where I, are you on the original Scream series? I really like them all. Even like the fourth all. one, I think. Okay. I think the fourth one did the right innovation of like, this is the next thing if you're talking about a new one. Well, how many were there? There were four. Okay. And I then like, there was a TV show. And the TV show, the first two seasons were great, and they actually had their own like internal mythology that was really good, and then they just like trashed it and made a third season that was like a reset of everything. Okay. <clears throat> See, the third one actually has uh, the third scream. The only thing I truly remember about it was, one, the soundtrack, because I picked that up. Oh, yeah. It had a, a banging soundtrack. Yeah. Um, but also had Timothy Oliphant in it. Okay. Mm-hmm. And Oliphant's great. Like, he just fucking kills it in everything <laughs> he does. And he did not belong in that movie, but he was great in it. I don't know. Did you Speaking see? Speaking of, we're getting a new uh, Justified limited series. Ooh! Yeah, I just read that today. Pretty anxious about that. Ooh! Um, and I feel bad about it because Jenna Ortega's in it, and I really love her. Oh, and she's, she's been yeah. in a ton of horror stuff. She's great. And what she's in the new Ty West that's on the way X. Yes. Which I'm vaguely which hopeful for. Hopefully, we'll hopefully that will be good. Um, I hope she keeps doing horror. I hate that I didn't like this one because she is in it, but. Oh, they can uh, all be winners. Um, yeah, I hate reboot cools. It's done. It's dead to me. If you make a reboot cool, it automatically starts for me at a half star, and you have to do anything <laughs> at all to show me there's anything meaningful here for me to bump that up. It's just so disappointing because there's a lot of great, strong screenplays that are not based on anything else. Sure. That are wonderful stories that I would love to see get told. But for some reason, well, I'm not going to say for some reason. Not everybody is like us. Mm. I don't want to. Like go elitist on it, but I mean, like what you like. I yeah, mean, it's fine. Oh yeah, but but give what us makes some money, original stuff too? What makes mo- Halloween Kills made a lot of money? Mm. And I guess that's what makes me mad in a way because I think about this movie, I think about Halloween Kills, and I think like all the cool stuff we saw last year at film festivals that were these amazing movies 
where it's just like an indie person with a lot of drive and passion for what they're doing. And I'm like, these are so good. And they kind of just get lost in the mix of a festival. Yeah. Even when the film itself is kind of like just, ha, you feel the passion Mm -hmm. in the project. And so you're like immediately have a little bit better feeling towards it because you can feel that someone worked their ass off on it. And I'm sure people worked physically really hard on Halloween kills and stuff like that, but there's no heart in those movies to me. Yeah, And that's one of the messages that kind of goes along with this like studio based anti toxic fandom thing where it's like, well, they worked hard on it, so you should just appreciate it. No, Um, a lot of people work on a lot of shit because it's a job. Yeah. Like they don't have to. And at the end of the day, it's like if you didn't like it and it didn't appeal to you, then that's, that's just where it is. Right. I mean, you you don't have to be mean about it, but Mm -hmm. at the same time, it's like you have every right to not like the product they're trying to sell you. Right. And that's my thing with (laughs) last Jedi. Like I don't like, I don't care if somebody doesn't like it, Mm -hmm. but I don't think it's fair to attack the person and say like, well, you're stupid because you like that. No, fuck you. Everyone's allowed to like what they like. Mm -hmm. And if we would all be a little more civil about it and kind of do like what we try to do. Right. It's like, I didn't like it because this, this, this did not work for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you can have a conversation about that and circle it and be like, well, what did you think of this? Do you like X or Y? What are your feelings on Z thing? And then you can can actually have a nice conversation about a piece of work Mm -hmm. and not end up with well that's just stupid yeah why didn't you like it because it sucked that's not an answer come on use your words all right well i've I've put us on a long digression let's talk about a film that i think maybe we all enjoyed maybe we'll find out in certain ways (laughs) some more than others play play the real song play the real song Today, to wrap up our series on Giallo January, we are talking about Knife Plus Heart from 2018, directed by Jan Gonzalez. Uh, real quick, top level, this is kind of the synopsis. Anne produces third-rate gay porn. After her editor and lover Lois leaves her, she tries to win her back by shooting her most ambitious film yet with her trusted flamboyant sidekick Archibald. That's a shitty-ass thing to say, third-rate porn. But one of her actors is brutally murdered, and Anne gets caught up in a strange investigation that turns her life upside down. Indeed it does. And I agree with you. That is kind of a crappy thing to say. Because it's set in 1979 in Paris. Mm -hmm. I mean, what kind of... It it was kind of an underground scene anyway. I don't have a lot of... What kind of movie were they supposed to be producing? (laughs) I don't have a lot of reference points to see, like... If, you, if they're going to make a statement like that, tell me what I need to watch first-rate gay porn. <laughs> right. So sure. I can compare the two. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I can make an accurate decision <laughs> as to whether or not that is, in fact, third-rate. Okay. And speaking of that, this is probably one of the best places to start before we go deep on the film. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the characters in it are actually inspired by or based on real-life individuals that worked in the gay porn industry of that time. Oh, really? That's cool. So, um... Yeah, it's a lot of people based on or around Anne-Marie Tensi. Uh, Tensi contributed to the golden age of French pornographic cinema with productions like Malefice Pornos and Nelly. Um, she worked under <laughs> several, different several different pseudonyms Nelly. like uh, Job Blau. Um, in the, the 70s, she owned a few venues in Paris. 
that screened films and she had her own production company. Um, of the roughly like hundred some films she directed and produced, most of them have disappeared or become lost. Hmm. Of the actual like gay pornos that she made or directed, there's only about ten that are still out there surviving with there's copies that you can like track down. Oh wow. If you rearrange Job Lao, you could probably get blowjob out of it. <laughs> <laughs> so our our lead Anne, Anne Perez, uh played by Vanessa Paradis. Parody? We're going to butcher a lot yeah, of French names. French. Yeah, just, we're and sorry. I apologize. I should French know better, speakers. too, because I did a bunch of French in college. Like, took a bunch of classes and well, did, did a bunch of French kissing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but her character specifically is inspired by the Anne-Marie Tinsey. That's cool. Um, and that name, Anne Perez, that was picked in tribute to the actress Emmanuel Perez. So then I'll just run through these really quick just to get them out of the way. Uh, her cinematographer in the film, Francois Tabot who's played by Bertrand Mandico, is an anagram of Francois Abo, who was a cinematographer for some of the films that Tinsey made, and he had a large part in like the gay porn period of the time. Hmm. Um, the role of Boucher d'Or, played by Pierre Pirol, is inspired by Carmelo Petit, who was an actor of the time. The name Lo- Lois McKenna, who is played by Kate Moran, and that's the editor of their group, is a reference to Lois... Koenigsworther, who is the editor on several of Tinsey's films. Uh, Archibald, who is sort of her main actor and close confidant in the film. He's played by Nicholas Mori, and he refers to Benoit Archenoul, who was a close collaborator of Tinsey and helped direct and produce many of her films. Oh. Cool. I've nev- this is the most I've ever known about gay porn. And a lot of this was hard to track down. There's really not like some of this. I was diving onto like French Wikipedia and kind of like a lot of translating sites probably. (laughs) (laughs) Cool, that's neat. Now, in your research, did you come across anything about how acceptable porn film and gay porn films were in France at the time? I was also curious about that after watching the film. I think it's about like it's depicted in the film, where it was more of an underground right kind of thing. Yeah, obviously. Okay, it was probably a bit more permissible than here I would imagine the, here being mm-hmm. the US uh, but yeah still you, you get the impression that it's still very much a no-no thing to do oh yeah so if we get into the film proper we open at a nightclub everyone's dancing having a good time and we're seeing a young man that's kind of wandering about dancing with people having a good time mm-hmm. and amid that there is a man in a leather mask looking rather ominous yeah, you know, and I'm not going to crap on anyone's kinks or anything, but this dude, I mean, I, I guess if you end up being dominated or something, this dude's <laughs> looking scary, yeah. and I do like his look a lot. It's really cool. He has an amazing look, and he's got the, you know, the gloves that you want, the black gloves on the killer. Yeah, yep. Uh, he's wearing a black mask, skin-tight mask. At first, it almost looks like it's a gimp mask until you get a better, yeah. better look at it. It doesn't, and I think the interesting thing it does is it sets it up so well that you're kind of, I don't know, that club was a little weird because it didn't fully seem like an S&M club mm-hmm. but it seemed like kind of an anything goes club oh, yeah. and so you saw a lot of people of a lot of different kinks and he did not seem out of place <laughs> no. right and that's the thing yeah he would fit in there he did not like yeah. I'm like yeah, I can see that guy being there sure <laughs> sure um, and I like how this is shot even in the opening like there's some interesting like synthy music going there's a lot of colors where it's like the nightclub and they're dancing sort mm-hmm. of thing so already there's a good like to me it was a good aesthetic style that they build yeah, cool music, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so this guy we're watching, he kind of takes an interest in the Max Man. He notices him because we're watching him from afar. And they do the kind of like, you know, oh, let's drift off and go off on our own. Mm-hmm. 
one thing leads to another, and the next thing you know, they're in a room with a bed, things are getting kind of hot and heavy, and he ties them down. Face down. Face down, like you do. (laughs) (laughs) Sure, sure, sure. This episode's going to reveal a lot about Dustin's uh, deep, <laughs> and that's dark okay. secrets. Bring it out, brother. It's cool. Yeah. I mean, just Don't if he just, starts th- reaching. This is a no judgment zone. Do I need to just wail like the killer? <laughs> <laughs> if he starts reaching into his pants, though, and I'm pulls out. something out. I'm oh, out. I thought you were talking about the movie. If Dustin reaches into. Okay. I <laughs> yeah. No, if Dustin reaches into his pants here, I'm well, out. In the movie, the killer reaches into his pants. He does, yeah. but it fits the scene. It does not fit the scene for three dudes sitting here podcasting and Dustin just reaches into his pants. <laughs> <laughs> so if we weren't podcasting, if we were like video recording, would that be more appropriate? Maybe. Depends on what we're recording. <laughs> Once we have the OnlyFans, I think, cool. then it's acceptable. It depends so, on what. Yeah. So what does the killer pull out of his pants? He reveals a dildo. Mm hmm. And it seems like it's going to go, you know, down. Where they go. Where they go into like a sex scene. However, boom. Yep. It's actually a knife. It's like a. comes out the tip. Dildo switchblade. And yeah. And this is a, it's a scene that doesn't really show anything. It's not graphic at all. Oh oh my God, is it painful. It's, but it hurts. It's just, ooh, it's painful. I was, you know. Oh. It's the classic horror perfection of like less is more. Mm-hmm. Because what you can imagine is worse than yeah. anything they could have tried to show. Easily. It, so, my wife asked me, she was like, what What about this movie this week? And I was like, I'm just glad you weren't there. Because <laughs> she don't was, think she would have enjoyed it? Um, I think, no. No, well, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I got Tiffany to watch this one with me, and I've, I've got some comments from her to dole out at the end. Once we kind of work through it all. Cool. I don't know. I, I have some broad thoughts about the film, mm. and some broad thoughts about the themes, but I don't want to go into him now because we're not far enough. Sure, into, right like, now, really. absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, he kills him, and it kind of cuts, and we next thing we see, we're with Anne, our lead character. Mm-hmm. And before we get any further, I do want to say real quick that this instantly reminded me of the film Cruising. Have you guys seen that? Uh, with Al Pacino, right? Yeah, yeah. William Freak in 1980. Amazing. No. Uh, Pacino plays a detective who goes undercover into the underground S&M uh, gay scene to catch a man who's killing uh, gay people. Huh. Which, in the promotional stuff for this film, the, the names they kind of drop is Argento, Friedkin, and um, De Palma. Uh, yeah, I guess like I have some De Palma to talk about, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we meet Anne, and we meet her like little troupe that she works with, making gay porn. I think what they're shooting a scene when we first come in on them, I believe. Yes. Yeah. Um, we've also got some cuts of Lois, who is their editor, who Anne is madly in love with. And it's very evident they've kind of had a... Well, that's how we meet Anne, right? Yeah. She's because she she calls Lois and she's hysterical and crying. Yeah, it starts and, that night, the night of the murder, and she's walking home. Right mm-hmm. now, this is something I, I thought that she was going to be the next victim or something. I didn't mm-hmm. know she was going to be our main heroine, which was interesting to me. I could see that. Yeah. Did anyone, anyone else of... get that? Did that happen to anybody else? No, I, could uh, see I, that. I didn't know she was the lead character. I didn't expect her to be. I also didn't watch the trailer because I like to avoid trailers. I didn't expect her to be the main character, no. I Mm. thought, at the beginning, I thought she was going to be the next. Yeah, that she was a throwaway. Yeah, I thought Lois was the one we were going to be following. Yeah. Anyway, I digress. Uh, Which is interesting because there is the film The Editor... Mm-hmm. Which is a parody of Giallo. I kept thinking good. of it yeah. the whole any scene with Lo, any scene with her though yeah. editing. I just kept thinking of the editor. And, and then what was the film last year? Was it Censor? Which is also kind of yes. in that wheelhouse. Yes, which I do like Censor. I do like Censor. So that might be a nice little like triple pairing you mm-hmm. could do. But anyways, did any men get slapped in Censor? Uh, imagine that a man slapping another man. 
<laughs> if you've not seen it, if you've not seen the editor, please do yourself a favor and go watch the it's editor. Great. It is parody, but it comes from such a loving place for the genre. It almost so, works as a you know a real giallo. Yeah, it's so fucking good. Okay. Um. Yeah, but she calls Lois to talk to her, and it quickly becomes evident that they've had this relationship. They've kind of fallen apart from one another, and is still desperately in love with her. And it, it's sad because she's pretty pretty desperate. You get the impression that she's unstable. Mm-hmm. And it quickly becomes evident she has a super drinking problem mm-hmm. as well. She always has a bottle of something with her. I'm I didn't. Sure. You know, the funny thing is, is I just assumed it was France, so I didn't think she really had that much. I was like, they all, everyone in France drinks like that. Well, they mentioned it a few times where they tell her to tone it down or try to quit or stuff like yeah. that. Uh, that's on one of the questions that they'll ask you at the doctor's office. Does anyone ever tell you you drink too much? <laughs> Not anymore. Unfortunately, Anne would have to say yes, yes. I get told that once a day probably. Um, so yeah, the next day is when we meet the cast proper, and they're they're kind of trying to shoot this scene. And Archie Archibald, who's kind of like the backup director, produce he kind of does it all. He's even he even acts in the films too. He's trying to direct these three guys. He's my favorite character. Archie. <laughs> and it's immediately this comical scene where it's like he's trying to like you know get them to like kiss one another and be intimate, and mm-hmm. it's just like not working out at all. Mm-hmm. They uh, I've already made this joke with you guys several times, but they have a person on set that's literally their job is to come in and give a blowjob so that the, the person, golden mouth they call the, him the golden he, mouth he's yes. the fluffer and apparently he does a great job yeah and the whole job literally is to literally come in and like make them scene ready yep because back then when you had you know it was film you had long setups you had to have a fluffer you know mm-hmm. in between scenes it's not like nowadays we've got video and you can shoot 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 and don't have to worry about he knows so much about porn man <laughs> i don't really know that much <clears throat> anyway so you were saying Dustin. Anyways, <laughs> I'm just in, I'm in awe of your knowledge. Oh, thank you so much. And you know he's just a side character, but that the guy who is the the quote unquote mouth of gold, he's an interesting character because he has like a lot of emotion to him, even though he mm-hmm. is just a side person. And I think that's one of the things I want to say I really love about this film is that all the characters are very very well realized, even if they're only in there for a little bit. They do a lot with a little. All the actors mm-hmm. are very good. Um, and the thing we even learned about him later, which I'll just bring it up now because it's kind of a throwaway thing. He's not even really in it for the money. He's not bad, yeah. He reveals that he still lives with his mother. He doesn't need money. He doesn't need money. He just he just does it for <laughs> he the just heck likes of it. Doing it. Yeah. I uh, I did find his character pretty sad though. Mm-hmm. Uh, due where to it goes. where it goes with him. It it did make me sad just because Well, we need to we'll get to that scene when someone dies. cuz I think it's important an mm-hmm. overall theme of it. Yep. So. Sure. I just need to shut up and let you finish <laughs> cuz I'm Whoa, Whoa, that was uh, not me. So we're good. Uh, um, so yeah, um, in the course of doing this, you know, Anne goes into her office and we, we learn the next creepy thing about her is that she's got like a peephole so she can spy on Lois. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, this is our hero, folks. <laughs> and it's one of the things we'll learn more about her as we go, but I really love Anne as a main character because it, it's one of those traditional, I think, archetypes we see in Giallo where sometimes it's like the fresh-faced youth that gets like thrown in a weird situation. But then other times you have this like, tormented haunted individual Mm -hmm. where their life is already like ruined and crappy when it starts and then things just get worse and they try to struggle through it really made me think of um the fifth chord and franco nero's character in that because he's kind of in that same place right and i always love when a movie can take a character that you immediately don't like Mm -hmm. and then eventually make them likable or at least relatable Mm -hmm. Or that That's you can, and nothing else, you can sympathize with their situation. Right. right. I think this film does a great job of putting you on a roller coaster with her because mm-hmm. you end up like, I don't like you. I feel sorry for you. Mm-hmm. I kind of like you now. Now I really don't like you. 
Yeah. <laughs> and now I feel sorry for you again. Yeah. Yes. And so in the course of her uh, peeping on Lois, they bring her some of the recent like dailies. reels, the dailies. And you notice that Lois kind of has this like disdain, like she's just sick of what they're doing. And it frustrates Anne because she feels like, I guess part of the dynamic of their relationship is that Lois really valued Anne's creativity. Mm-hmm. And it seems like she's kind of in a rut now. He's a good editor. Yeah. So she gets it in her mind that she wants to try to like change things up, do something different, try to impress her. But amid all of this, the police contact them because there's been this murder. And I think this first guy, is it uh, Fuad, I think? Yes. This murdered? Yes. And he was in some of the earlier films. Mm-hmm. And it really hits them all hard because everybody loved him. He was yeah. like one of the favorites among their, their group. And he was apparently a favorite amongst the purveyors of mm-hmm. their films. Yeah, he was like one of their stars. He was their golden yeah. boy, yeah. So she goes down to the police station to speak with them and answer some questions. And it's a very odd and awkward scene, I think, almost. Yeah. You've got the one inspector who's like the older, like, you know, gruff. He's seen a bunch of shit. That dude had an interesting face. He did. I never could quite, <laughs> I never could quite sort out what it was. It was like the way his eyes were set. It looked like maybe one eye made in a glass or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But, but anyway. They never it, explain it, it, which is the interesting but thing. But like all the characters, he sticks out. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't forget him. And then you've got like the younger guy who's running the typewriter, taking everything down. <laughs> yeah. And there's just... And this is one of the themes of the film we should probably get into now is the police have to have a complete disdain for them yeah, and like no concern, no right. care at all. Yeah, the pornographers and they're gay. So it's like, mm-hmm. why should they care about them? Which that brings me to one of the things that I think is interesting about this film is that of the characters that die, you know, like in kind of, tra- I'm, I'm going to say traditional Giallo films because I don't think this is traditional. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you do see like some fanfare over the deaths. Right. There isn't any here because basically these characters are the the refuse of right. society. So when when one of them dies, people are like who gives a shit? Oh yeah, it's not like front page news <laughs> because they're high fashion models or something yeah, like that. Yeah, which right? makes it mm-hmm. even more deadly, I guess, in a sense of if you're running in this crowd, like you could die. Right, and there's no real like protection or concern there for you at like the powers that be. And I think to me, one of the things that I thought of um, with that was the correlation with the AIDS epidemic. Mm-hmm. Is that oh, definitely is this that, is right on the cusp of that too? You know that you're you're in a group of people that no one seems to give a shit about. Right. So who cares if you die? Yeah, so so we're not going to do anything to try to stop this because why do we care? Yeah. And to me that automatically gives a sadness to this film mm-hmm. that like I think is prevalent to the whole thing. I agree. Yeah, I listen to a lot of like true crime stuff too and they have this idea they talk about in a lot of them where it's like for sex workers they're kind of considered like less the less dead I think is what they say which is like huh. If one of them goes missing in terms of like for the police, they matter less than like an active dead body they might be trying to find. Mm-hmm. Even if they had the means that they could look and maybe find them and save them before anything bad happened to them, yeah. they just don't care. It's moral judgment. And it, on... sadly, it's true back then, and it's probably still just as true no, it's very, today. It's, so. Yeah, it's still very much true. It's extremely true, just they try to say it's not. <laughs> you yeah. know, like they try to act like it's different. And what's interesting in this like interview that they do with her is they kind of try to like, brush over some of the topics, and then she just lays into them and just starts like <laughs> talking about the things he did in their films yeah. and what a great person he was and how amazing he was and yeah, and the guy stops typing and he's just kind of listening and then the other cop says keep typing. <laughs> <laughs> but that scene ends up inspiring her, right? 
and it made me think of Delirium. There's a lot of weird parallels I didn't think about when I picked this film, but it kind of connects back to Delirium, mm-hmm. where it inspires Anne, and she thinks, well, I'm going to shoot a movie that is what's happening to me, this weird situation where I'm a filmmaker and one of my actors die. Yes. Isn't it called Anal Fury 5? Yeah, that's what it, it starts out as. Yeah. That's what it starts out as. And so we see a clip of the scene, and they've got Archie playing as her, <laughs> and it's this hilarious, yeah. hilarious moment where it's like the interview scene again, but what it culminates with, like, the dude starts, like, humping the typewriter. <laughs> when he <laughs> tells him to write, he's typing. Yeah. <laughs> There's a, the, one of the things I thought about a lot when watching this was um, the deuce. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. If you've seen the deuce on deuce HBO. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, like, it's, and it's kind of the same time period, really, of, like, making porn mm-hmm. and how horribly fake it all is. Yeah. And it's still, I mean, to this day, it's... You know, but, and also, but another through line is that back then they were it was artistic, at least for a lot of people, and, right? And, and it's for and for the character of, here. Uh, maybe think of when we covered the pink film because that's kind of the same thing in Japan. You had these like erotic films that for a lot of people there was an artistry to mm-hmm. it, and there was right. stuff to re- respect and appreciate there. Yeah, I think that it's honestly just American society where it's so heavily Christian dominated puritanical theory. I mean, you're essentially taught that that's just throwaway, Mm -hmm. that that's trash and filth and there's nothing in it, you know, of value. And I don't think that's true at all. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't really know of any porn that I've seen that I'm like, there's a lot of heart to that, (laughs) you know, but like, well, I'm sure that well, also, also nowadays the, not so much, but back in the day, yeah, I think they, they were like movies. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I mean, Debbie Does Dallas still gets referenced. Sure, like There's the reason for that as a as a film, right. not as a pornography, like right. as a film, mm-hmm. it's referenced. So clearly, mm-hmm. there was some artistry. Mm-hmm. Also, during this time, uh, while she's out riding around with Archie, she meets a young miner named Nens, and he looks a lot like Flood. Yep, play by the same actor. Play by the same actor. And they, they say that say it's like haunting as if they're like brothers or something. Mm-hmm. And she goes to recruit him, and he almost immediately rebuffs her, and he's like, no, I, what he says, I'm, I'm not a fairy. I'm not a fairy, that. is what he says, yes. And then she's just like, well, I'll pay you like double, triple what they're paying you here. Yeah. For just like a few days of work. I really do love that exchange between the two of them, because she's openly seducing him. Like, she's using everything in her playbook right. to draw this dude in. And while he's trying to be like, I'm not interested, you can tell he's very interested (laughs) in everything that's happening. And I just love her line of like, you know what? So what? You make a lot of money. And then the worst you get out of is maybe get some pleasure out of it. Mm -hmm. And then like you just see the dude instantly like, she's got a point. (laughs) (laughs) She's got a point. And for her, she's a very strange looking character. I think like... She's very pretty, mm-hmm. but she's not pretty in the American sense of what we would see in an American film. She's very realistic looking. Yeah, she, yeah exactly. She is a haunted character, and you can see it in mm-hmm. her her appearance and the way she carries herself. But I will say I loved her like vinyl raincoat that she wore for a lot of the film. Yeah. That looked so cool. Yeah. I will say she's an attractive character, not just in um, physical appearance, but like... You are attracted to her as a character. If it's if I were charisma, yeah. if I were to meet this person in real life, I'd want to spend time with her because I'd want to know more about her. She just seems so interesting, mm-hmm. and I think it reflects in the film in that like she's very good at what she does, yeah, making these films and recruiting people and being able to like build the right crew to get it done. And it made me think in contrast to Gloria in Delirium, she was so hands off with Pussycat. 
because it wasn't what she wanted to do. She had no like passion in it. Right. Whereas with Anne, this is like her life and she lives mm-hmm. and breathes this. Hmm. So I thought that was interesting, like that parallel is. between yeah. the two. Yep. Um, so while they're working on Anal Fury 5, they have a little bit of a dispute with some of the people. I think it's, uh, was it Thierry, right? Yes. He wants to be paid like immediately. And it's like kind of hassling her about it. Uh-huh. Well, and you find out why. Yep. He's a junkie. He's a junkie. Yeah. So that brings us to the next night, and he immediately runs out with the money, gets some heroin, shoots up. He's just well, he's sitting in like an he, abandoned he's car. He's an old yeah. trashed abandoned car outside <laughs> of a club that everybody else is in, having a good time and stuff. But he's nodding off, and they even reference to him um, being a junkie, like they need to lay off the heroin because he can never get scene ready, right? Yeah, and basically that's why they have to bring in the mouth of gold all the time for <laughs> yeah. him. Yeah, um, that scene was so sad to me. Mm-hmm. It was interesting because it's one of my favorite scenes in the film because it's intercut with the club scene where uh, Anne kind of follows Lois to this club. Right. And she's like stalking her a little Mm -hmm. bit. And Lois is like down on the dance floor dancing with this other woman. Mm -hmm. And they're clearly like into one another. And Anne is just like watching from the second floor. And you can see the rage like building on her face. Yes. And there's just this like obsessive desire that's there. Meanwhile, with like the building of the music that's intercut with the killer shows up with Thierry, and it's the same thing again. That dildo comes out. Yeah. This time it's like what? It's like a blowjob deal, right? Yeah. yeah. He sticks it in his it mouth. It was a. It was actually a very brutal kill. It was very brutal. Yeah, because they, they kind of like run that for a bit. Then he brings out the knife. Hits the blade. Comes out the back of his head. And yeah. it's very brutal. And it's like this cacophony of like it keeps cutting back to the club, and the dancing's building, the music's building. Anne's like frustration is building mm-hmm. and they kind of make a parallel between her and the killer almost in that moment. Right. Yes. And I just love the way that was kind of shot and constructed. Mm-hmm. They also, so we'll talk about later whether this is a giallo, whether it's not a giallo kind of a thing. Yeah, I think it's kind of, when we get into the wrap up, we should, but they do some red herring work here too, mm-hmm. by dressing characters a certain way. Like yeah. Lois is always dressed like, the killer <laughs> a lot if of you, times yeah it's, but that's a moto jacket you know like a european moto jacket so it's not like somebody wouldn't have that mm-hmm. but they do a lot of red herring work here to kind of like but i don't know if it's red herring work it's so much as it is just character work right they're showing juxtaposition characters. of this violent brutal kill and then what you think that Anne might want to do mm-hmm. to this person who's dancing with lois yeah, because that was one of my first theories. The original time I watched it, I was like, well, what if this is like Anne is so driven by her obsession and her grief that she is like enacting like the murders that she wishes she could do to Lois, but there's that like strange like love-hate thing going on. Yeah. And that's something I was starting to think through the movie too is how reliable of a narrator is Anne. Yeah, when, we, when we're with her alone, how, you know, <laughs> can, can we take everything she sees and hears and does it's a hard fact. no for me. <laughs> <laughs> we'll um, get to that, I guess. So yeah, yeah, Terry dies. They find out the next day. Everyone at the studio gets kind of worried mm-hmm. because they're like, well, now it's a pattern. Yeah, it's obvious that someone's targeting the um, actors. And the police are doing nothing at all. They kind of check in with them and they're like, well, we have a lead maybe. Uh, we're working on it. Don't mm-hmm. worry about it. Yeah. And it's, it's, just, it's clear that they're just like, whatever, get out of here. Mm-hmm. It's just so sad to me because it's also you see the realism in the rest of the actors and the rest of the people who run in that crew mm-hmm. that it's not unusual right. for someone that because they're gay or because they work in that industry to be killed and no one give a shit. Mm-hmm. Like that's just brutally sad to me 
But it's also the I think that if you were to talk to a lot of uh, people like in that time that were gay, I think that you would hear a lot of that as well. Like life was unsafe, and it's you still here. Yeah, and I was about to say it's still true to this day. It, it's unsafe to be out and open with your sexuality, mm-hmm. and even more so in here. Just this film just made me sad. I think really? that was one of the striking things for me, and why I wanted to bring this film was that like. It gives you such a look at a subculture that like doesn't really get a lot of representation in film. Yeah. And it's a real like honest, very heartfelt look at it. And to me it's funny that you said like I chose this one because it has through lines with delirium because it really does. Mm-hmm. You just basically flip it. Right. Like everything that we're seeing with delirium they're targeting these models. And what I found interesting and I told this to Piper about it was that I found it interesting that it didn't make me uncomfortable in delirium when a female model was killed brutally in a sexual way Mm -hmm. because I think I'm desensitized to that. Like our society has desensitized us. That's acceptable to that. Mm -hmm. But when we flip it, how uncomfortable I was, especially with that first kill, especially because there's the, like there's the buildup that this is this very like sexual moment at first. And then it just like flips over. But we've seen that same scene. Sure. How many in times? giallo How many films, movies? like in yeah. so many movies, but mm. the, it's male on female violence. And how sad is it that that's how desensitized we've become to that's a good observation. Male on is, female right? violence, mm-hmm. and I noticed that I felt that way in the film. Like, and then I had to stop and think: Why do I feel different about this? This is no different than something I've seen a million other times. Yeah, you're perfectly capable of empathizing with a woman as well. You know? Yeah, but mm. yeah, you don't feel it as much. And as... I think it's super important as. And one of the reasons why we do this podcast and why we talk about film in the way we do, mm. because film is more than just something to sit and pass time. Right. It can be that, and that's fine if yeah. that's all you want. But but it doesn't have to be disposable. Right. right. But this, I think, makes a very good point and made something that I wanted to look into myself about. Mm. Like, how sad is it that I can see the same act done to a woman, but because I'm so desensitized to that, because that's what's been shoved down our throat, Forever. Right. <laughs> no, sorry. Probably shouldn't have. <laughs> Not with a switchblade dildo, though. Or maybe it is. We're like a bull in a china shop right now with turns of phrases on this film. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we are very immature at heart. So, But I don't know. I, I was thinking about that a lot, and that's one of the things that sat with me with this film a lot. Is I, I think to me that's like some of the best films are the ones like they put that mirror up at you yeah. and kind of make you reflect mm-hmm. on yourself. Yeah. And that's what we're supposed to do to be better people. Mm-hmm. You know, we're supposed Self-reflection. to... Self-reflection? What? Yeah. <laughs> Fuck that. Who has time for that? I might feel bad about myself. Fuck that. I'm going to go raid the Capitol. <laughs> so, Sorry. they are down actors. They're struggling. And Anne does what she does. And they're out hanging out at a bar. And she notices some of her old friends that used to work with them. They're now working as prostitutes. Mm-hmm. Making more than it does to pay to do the gay films. Mm-hmm. But she kind of, you know, works on him, and she's like, "Hey, why don't you, why don't you come work for me again, just for a little bit?" Mm-hmm. And it's very clear they kind of just do it out of like respect for her more yeah. than I love that group money. of characters. It's, yeah. it's kind of a camaraderie. Mm-hmm. I I loved those characters. They were so for like for a couple of them to not have very many lines. Mm-hmm. You just wanted to know more. Yeah. You wanted to spend time with them. Like I have mm-hmm. to know your story. Yeah. <laughs> that, that could have been a film to itself. Oh yeah. Um, so they restart shooting and they retitled Sorry. the film Homocidal. Which is a great... I mean, nothing wrong with <laughs> Anal Fury 5, but Homocidal yeah. is... Yeah, it's 
perfect. And this is where we get like more shots of the film. And I love this. It's like the climax of the movie. <laughs> and so it's like POV. You're walking through this weird like draped, white draped. You don't know where you are. It's just like right. all white. And they'll kind of pass through some drapes. And then there'll be people engaged in sexual acts. It reminded me a lot of the opening shot of uh, Deep Red. Yeah. Yeah, that's a perfect one. And the killer's POV yeah. and the curtains are parting and stuff like that. And whoever were the POV of, they're like brushing their hands on all the men that are there. Mm. And eventually we learn that it is the killer. Oh no. And they're masked. And the film version of Anne shows up with the uh, police detective <laughs> that's uh, assisting her that's played by, uh, it's Nans, right? Yeah, Nans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and they kind of have the show off and they shoot <laughs> down the killer. Yes. Uh, she goes in to reveal the killer's face, and it is Anne. And we get a bit of a narration that it's, uh, what, she's a ticket girl at the theater that plays all of their movies. Yeah. And clearly watching all the films made her go crazy somehow. And right, right, right. Sent her on this killing spree. <laughs> and that's sort of the big, the big climax of the movie. Yeah. It's great. It's great. There's it's, some really... It's so cheesy, but so fun at the same time. One of the things that I think is great to break the tension of this film and make it not so... Like, it's depressing. Mm-hmm. It's depressing as fuck. For sure. But to kind of add a little levity is the hilarity of the scenes that they're shooting. Mm-hmm. My personal favorite is the um, phone booth. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. There's... Um, they have like a, a, a split scene mm. where you see one of the detectives. The, it's very, very Brian De Palma-esque. And, and they both end up ejaculating at the same time. And it's this like... <laughs> it's like up in their faces. Huge yeah. explosion. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's very funny. It's unexpected. And I think it's what made it so funny is that it catches you off guard. And meanwhile, you're watching this horribly depressing movie. And then there's this scene. But notable about that, um, it's before this final scene that we see of the film. And um, we see that one when Lois is editing it. And you can tell that she's kind of like, you know, oh, this is the Anne that I love. This is the one who's creative and will come up with all these crazy ideas for a movie mm-hmm. that they're like interesting and engaging. Yeah, it's it, it made that scene made me laugh quite <laughs> a bit, but also made me think of the deuce yeah. with the uh, cream of chicken soup. <laughs> so uh, they wrap on the film and they decide they're going to have a picnic yep. out in the forest to celebrate the next day. Mm-hmm. Uh, which that's we get more of the hilarity of the group that she recruited for the film. <laughs> yeah, oh god, yeah, because because they raid like a convenience store to bring liquor and <laughs> snacks and stuff. Yep. <laughs> One of them gives birth to a bottle of vodka yeah. or something like that. It reminds me a lot of O. John Waters movies. Mm-hmm. That's something Divine would have done. Oh yeah, definitely. I, I get that vibe for sure. <laughs> I've not seen those films, but I know of Divine, mm-hmm. and uh, I actually did think of that. Yeah. Because I felt like that is a John Waters Yeah, there's like thing. a scene in Polyester where she takes, I think it's a big old steak and just puts it up her skirt. <laughs> She's walking out with it in between her legs. It's great. Um, so yeah, they're all kind of just hanging out and having a good time. And I think it's interesting that Nans is like kind of just one of them now. You can tell at the start, it seemed like he was just going to get the paycheck and bounce, but he's kind of like... Yeah, he's hanging out. He's one of the group having now. Having fun. I think he realizes that his preconceived notions of the people that he would be working with is not the same. Mm -hmm. Like he realized these are genuine people that are genuinely worth knowing and fun people to be around. I I think you definitely get that when he's watching the film at the end. He's just so engrossed in watching the film. He's proud that he was one of the actors. Exactly. was something he thought was just going to be to make money. Mm -hmm. He actually ended up enjoying doing. It's during this picnic that uh, Lois shows up. Right. Anne's kind of sad. She's wondering if Lois is going to come or not. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And it's very it's dreamlike when she shows up. Yeah, because wind kicks up and it gets Not to mention the bird that and, comes down. Which we should mention that every time a kill has happened, there's been this like black crow raven looking yeah, bird. Yeah, it has like white eyes. Chris Robinson. He actually walks in. <laughs> Sorry. Um, which that's one of those things like file it in the back of your mind because it's relevant later. But. Yes, and it's it's very and this is when I get to the whole unreliable narrator thing because the bird comes down and like lands on Lois mm-hmm. and she like you know pets it or whatever and then it flies off and it's like did that really just happen is or is that like Anne's perception of Lois? No, it was Chris Robinson. <laughs> <laughs> I love that a lot of older uh, Italian films. You'd you would have these these segments where it's like almost dreamlike and right. you're wondering like is this really happening? Is this someone's vision? Yeah. What's going on? So how many Argento films do we get where that happened? Right. This film does a lot too, though, with that negative aspect, where it literally does the negative shots, mm. um, which makes you also makes you question. It's these dreams that Anne keeps having. Yeah. You just see cuts of it of like violence happening. There's a barn that's burning. Yeah, so it lands on fire again. Makes you question, mm-hmm. you know, like the reliability. Like, is this real? Sure. And you know, it's just before Lois shows up. I wanted to talk about this. Uh, of those new people that they recruit, kind of the one we focus on a lot is uh, Mizia. Mm-hmm. And she's inter she he whatever you, however you want to phrase that I think she, I think she identifies as she because yeah. she said her, her name is Mizia now yes yes she does identify as she so um, she's into fortune telling and mm-hmm. she wants to tell Anne's fortune that's right and she kind of does this thing where it's like Anne's like well you're just gonna read my palm and she's like no it's more about a feeling and it's an interesting fortune because it kind of relates to later things in the film where it's like oh you know your dreams are important you need to let your dreams guide you. And it's during that fortune telling that's when Lois shows up. Right. With that dreamlike quality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I forgot about that. That's a good point. Uh, yeah. But Anne and Lois kind of talk. They try to reconcile. And yeah. That's when the storm whips mm-hmm. up. Wind's going everywhere. And Lois kind of freaks out and starts running. Mm-hmm. And she tells Anne that she loves her, will always love her, but they can't be together. Right. And the group kind of gets separated. Everybody starts running for cover. And then we have Missy out by herself. Mm-hmm. And the killer shows up. And there's that scene where the the camera's uh, like rotating all the way around. I fucking love this degrees. scene. It's so yeah. cool looking. And in the background, you see the killer coming behind Missia, and the camera rotates again. He gets closer, rotates again. He's like right behind her, and then knife in the back. No dildo death this time. Nope, just straight up knife. Yeah. That's an interesting thought, though. If Missia identifies as female. Mm-hmm why would he bring the dildo out? You know, like, he killed her, basically just knife, you're dead. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's almost like so his... it wasn't a sexual kill. Yeah, it didn't mm-hmm. feel as sexual either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, there was none of the build-up to it, really. Yeah. And There so, was no foreplay, it was yeah. very abrupt. So where she identifies as female, does he not view her, mm. you know... Interesting question. Yeah, yeah. it is. So in the wake of this, Anne kind of goes crazy and <laughs> chases after Lois. Oh, God, I hate this scene. And yeah, this is the part you were talking about, Michael, where you really sort God, of you it, lose your connection. Yeah, you're liking her, and you understand her, and then it's like, oh. Because uh, it's nighttime now. They're back in the city, and Anne just sort of runs Lois down mm. and just like psychotically is like, I have to be with you. I love you so much. Yeah. No one can deal with loving she someone that much. Straight up assaults her. And she's just like, I own you, and you have to be with me. And she, yeah, she assaults her. She yeah. rapes her right there, yeah. yeah. And I don't think I've ever seen that before. Portrayed. Well, an interesting twist because you're talking about like the flip of like seeing these 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 like very sexually motivated deaths on men. Well, now here we have this like sexual assault, and it's a woman on a woman. 
it also made me uncomfortable mm-hmm. because there was I mean, like, I think it should make you uncomfortable, but... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is the proper reaction. Yes. But that's also the same thing, is that I don't feel that same way if I see a rape scene in a film from a man to a woman. Like, it's uncomfortable from the sense that I don't want to watch it, mm-hmm. but you don't... I'm just waiting to see what you say next. <laughs> no, I think, it's, I think it goes back to what I said before. Like, we've been so desensitized. Right. How many how many rapes have you seen? And man on a woman while you see films that can portray it to really... I think with those kind of films, and it's not a genre that I'm super into, which I don't know, maybe there's someone that is, but <laughs> I don't know that person. Uh, it depends on how they're shot and how it's presented in the film. Yeah. And there is a series where they're kind of just like a cheap... Like oh, and the person gets raped, of course, and then yeah, like happens. we need we need a nude scene here. We're a low yeah. budget movie. We need a nude scene. What happens? Oh, let's just rape her. But yeah. then I think there's other films that they can like. It's still terrible to depict it, but it's like they do it with such a way where there's this gravitas. Like I think of the Nightingale. Nightingale, yeah, that was last year. Yeah, um, where yeah. they put all this emotional weight and stuff behind it, where it does have a meaning and a payoff in the film. Sure. And I think it's something that you also think of like you can like you can imagine like male on male rape. But I think when people don't think about how prevalent sexual assault is, that it's anybody. Right. And I don't think that we've ever really, I've never seen that in a film. I don't think I've ever seen like a female sexually assault a female before in a Mm -hmm. film. Maybe I have. Right off the top of my head, I can't come up with anything. I'm hard pressed to think of anything. But I think this shocked me. Like it actually shocked me that I was yeah. like, "Oh my god!" Like mm-hmm. it's the way she does it too, because you you do like Anne at this point now. I yeah, mean, she's become a very enjoyable, relatable character. And I immediately fucking hate her. Yeah, and you're just kind of like, "What? What the hell, man? What has gotten like? What yeah. has gotten into you? Yeah. Why? Like, yeah." And it puts her right back under the gun of like, "Well, maybe she is the killer." At that point, though, like it sealed it for me. I didn't care what happened to her. Like. She was dead to me. Wow. <laughs> like, okay. You don't think she redeemed herself at all? No, um, I don't. Hmm, okay. We'll have to talk about that. Yeah. But yeah, so Lois says, you know, this is it. I can't be around you anymore. Uh, she says she'll finish editing the film, but, you know, that's it after that. Right. Um, can't blame her. Anne is just, you know, devastated in the wake of this. Yeah, her love is very obsessive and all-consuming. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's like when you're a teenager. It's like nothing makes logical sense. You think it's the end of the world or something? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it, and is it during this part she goes to that club where they have like the stage show, I think? Yes. And she's kind of just drinking at the bar. I wanted to talk about that because that was a very interesting performance that goes on there where it's yeah. like a, it's sort of like supposed to be like a sexy song and dance thing. Mm-hmm. And this is a lesbian bar that she's mm-hmm. at. And it's like a woman and then the other person dancing with her is in this like bear costume. And the song and the way it plays out and the dance all has to do with like obsession and desire and the way it can like destroy a person. Was yeah. that a bear? It looked like a bear. It was like a Wolverine or something like know. that. It was very strange. I don't know what it was. But I loved how like almost, an animal. Uh, mongoose. It, it was an animal. It was Ricky Dicky Tabby. <laughs> the mongoose flies. <laughs> but I loved how almost like Grand Gnoll it got where it's like they have this like blood effect set up where it's like the beast starts to like claw her and yeah. blood spurts out everywhere. Right. It's like they have sex but it ends up killing the woman. Mm-hmm. That's a very strange scene. Very strange. Very artsy. I know what I thought about, too, when I saw that. I was like, oh, she's laying on top of the woman with all that blood that's going to get on the costume. It's going to be a bitch to clean. Surely they're going to use it again. (laughs) I I really thought that. One show only. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. So the next day, she's bombed out. Um, They they hear about the next death. 
they kind of just have to put a halt on everything for the time being. And nobody wants to work for no them. No one wants to work for them. She goes back to the police and she's like, hey, you guys have to help us. Yeah, and the old crotchety dude's like, nope, sorry, we're looking into stuff, go away. Mm-hmm. But then the younger man comes out and gives her something. Yep, he says, we've got one piece of evidence and we've already done everything we need with it, so I'm going to give it to you. Yeah, it's, they found it at every crime scene and it was a black feather. Mm-hmm. They think it's a crow, but they said they what they sent it off for like identification, like to run mm-hmm. tests on it, and they they don't. It's going to take a long time to get the info back. Right. So she's got this feather now. It's the only clue they've got. And what she decides to just look up. This is another one of the weird, weird scenes in this film that I love. She goes to someone who knows birds. Right. She looks up. I think it, they suggest it's like a pet shop, but when she gets there, it's like a freaking stone pyramid in a forest. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's when things get <laughs> yeah. dreamy and strange. And the and lady there, not... like, it made me think of the Beyond almost. Yeah, where it's like just this, like the blind girl and stuff, completely out of phase character that's like from another world almost. Yeah, this is one of the scenes though that took me out of it a little bit because sometimes I felt like this movie was a little too artsy for its own good. Oh, see, I love that shit. I do yeah. and I don't. I kind of eat it up. I, as long as it's engaging, I do and I don't. I think the the emotional weight of this film didn't need that. Hmm. Okay. Hmm. But that's, I could see an argument for that. But that's yeah. because I think this was firing on different levels for me. Mm-hmm. Like as far as what I was watching and and how I was viewing the film, I think was firing on a little different. Okay. Different wavelength. Fair I enough. just love the idea that you could watch this in like a movie, like all night marathon, and this is like the five a.m. slot or something. <laughs> Things start getting a little surreal. The and next weird. day, you're like, did I? Did she go to like a stone pyramid? Yeah. And- was that, did that guy have a, <laughs> did that guy have a bird hand? Yeah. The, the old woman's son, right, comes yeah. out. And he's the expert, and he's identifying the feather. And very prominently, you notice his hand is in his pocket, mm-hmm. like concealed mm-hmm. away. Right. And he talks about it's a, a blind crow. Yeah, it's a blind crow that comes from the forest of Chaladra. And it's a Chaladra Grackle. And this is not a real thing, correct? No, I, I did a lot of research on this because I was okay. curious. I figured um, you would. The story he gives in the f- the film is that it's this bird that kind of hangs around the dead, right? And mm-hmm. it kind of like can like draw and bring them back to life. Yes. Or like steward people away to death. Right. Um, I did a lot of research and tried to find out if this is a thing. <laughs> the only references I find to it are people talking about this film. So I think it has to be... Yeah, it's a legend this. made up for the movie. But what I thought was interesting is it made me think of Caladrius from Roman mythology. Do you guys know about this? I do not. No. It was this bird, and it was said that sometimes they hung around like kings and people of greatness, and the bird would like come to people when they're sick and draw the sickness away into them and then like fly off and disperse it into the world hmm. and heal the person. Interesting. So this this grackle, it's kind of the same premise, but it's hovering around like death and rebirth in a way almost. Hmm. I hate grackles. <laughs> we have them here. We have grackles here. Okay. You, you've seen them. They're just shit. Why? Why? What, what did they ever do to you? They're shit birds, man. They eat, all birds shit. No, they eat all <laughs> the good food. And, well, okay, that's not fair. I was going to say grackles aren't pretty. But they actually, you see their colors that are only visible under UV spectrum. So other birds yeah, can, other animals see, can, see them just fine. can see them and they're like super beautiful, but we just see like a... Because we have crappy vision. <laughs> we have like, we see like a boring ass black bird and it has the stupidest call. It sounds like an us problem, yeah. and not the bird's problem. What's it sound like? What's the ah! call? <laughs> it's so fucking stupid. Like other birds have such pretty calls and like a grackle shows up and it's like, fucking grackle's here. Ah! I'm going to take up for it. I think the grackles are kind of cool. 
They're fine, I guess. Uh, this has been bird exposure. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, no, so we, she gets this story, and this is where we see, like, he draws his hand out. Yeah. And it's like a bird's claw. It looks, like, scaled at first. Yeah. And you realize, yeah, it's like a giant bird's talon. I just love you. You're like, did they have a bird hand? And the, mo- and the mother says, like, oh, don't be afraid. He has, like, a condition. Right. He has bird hand. She, she bird says something about around. it's going to slowly envelop his whole body. Yeah. Like he's going to become a giant bird or something. <laughs> I thought maybe it was just the deformity that just happened to look like a tongue. It's not a real yeah. condition. It's... I didn't think it was. <laughs> I don't think bird hand is a real condition. Um, and so with this knowledge, and kind of decides to do the whole like third act giallo plot, mm-hmm. where she she's, says... She, she's got to find the killer herself because the police are not helping. Mm-hmm. So she takes it upon herself, and she says, I'm going to go to Chaladra, I'm going to check the forest. Mm-hmm. This bird is my only lead. Yep. And she gets a letter, too, from... Lois. Yeah, this is when, like, you get the final, like, we're done letter. Yeah, Lois is like, yeah, no, uh-uh, never, ever again. You broke my heart, all that stuff. And she says, when you come back, the film will be done, and then just please never see me again. Yeah. If you, if she says, if you care about me at all, never come mm-hmm. around me again. So, uh, when she gets to Chaladra, she meets this old man who I think Archie called to set up, like, a place for her to stay. Yeah, he has, like, an inn or something. And he runs it with his uh, daughter. Mm-hmm. Bird hand free, by the way. Bird hand free. Yes. No no bird hands are seen here. And um, the next day, Anne sets out to the forest with this woman, and she's going to go explore it. It's a very interesting scene, because there's a weird dynamic between the two of them. You can tell that the woman, like, oh, I forgot her name. I wish it was, yeah. is it is it Kathy, maybe? It's Kathy. That's yeah. Her. yeah. Yes. Good job. Um, she's very interested in Anne, and she's wanting to know like about the city and... Mm-hmm. Because yeah, they're out in the country. Yeah. She even says, I went to Paris when I was like five or something. And she says, she, you know, she always thinks about going, but she's all her father has left. And mm-hmm. she kind of looks after him. And it's funny because they get to the, like the entrance to the forest and she wants to come with her mm-hmm. and like help her. And it's just like, no, I'll come back. Yeah. And, and Anne's, <laughs> Anne's taking swigs off her bottle and she offers it to Kathy. And Kathy's like, this early? But she still takes a swig. Well, yeah, you don't turn it down. <laughs> So, wandering the forest, Anne comes across a cemetery, and there's a single woman there grieving at one of the graves. And we have a cemetery trifecta. Yep. This is the, the, un, the unplanned uh, connection on all three films that we have. There's, <laughs> there's a, a cemetery scene prominently in each of them. And each one's kind of weird in some way. Yeah. So, she meets this woman, and she learns that she's the mother of a person named Guy Favre. And there's this story that, uh, what is it? It's a... Uh, because the way it's phrased at first isn't the actual story. It's just what she believes, which is what I think that he 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 went to the city and he's supposed to come back or something is what she tells Anne. Right, that he's not dead. Because yeah. she assumes that Anne is like his friend, and that's right. why she's that there. You, you the, knew yeah. Guy, this is why you're here, and he's gone. He's not really dead, but if you see him, you know, tell him I love him, mm-hmm. come back, something like that. The woman's obviously not in her right yeah. mind. Very out of it. So when Anne returns that evening, she talks to Kathy about it, and Kathy knows Guy, and she's like, well, that's like a local story. Everyone here knows everyone. Mm-hmm. And the basics of it is that there was like, what, him and then his friend, uh, Hicham. Yes. And they think what happened is that Guy murdered him and then like ran away. Yeah, set fire to the barn. Set fire to the barn. And ran away. Which brings us to those dream sequences that are negative shot. That we've been seeing intermittently mm-hmm. here. And what we've seen is it's it's in a barn, and there's fire, and we're seeing someone set on fire and running out the barn, and also someone being castrated. Mm-hmm. 
in these visions. Interesting. Michael looks puzzled. Interesting. Don't you, do you remember that part? No, I do. Oh, okay. I'm just, I'm, I'm pondering. Oh, okay. <laughs> He's formulating something. He's going to say something profound in a minute. No, it's not going to be profound. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, they, they get back um, that evening. <laughs> there's a funny exchange between her and Kathy's father <laughs> where Kathy reveals that, uh, or he reveals that Kathy has like a drinking problem. Yeah, because <laughs> Anne asked him for more whiskey. Yeah. And he says, okay, I'll get you some. Just don't give any to Kathy. Yeah. And um, the next day she has a, like a letter left by Kathy. Mm-hmm. And it says like, hey, you're really interested in Guy's story. There's more than what I told you. Here's these newspaper clippings. Yes, that her father had for some reason. Yep. He says like what he, he's like, he's a pack ride. He keeps everything. And she's like, finally, what he kept can be of some use to someone. So mm-hmm. I hope it helps you. And they do a neat thing where like Anne reads it. And you can tell she like realizes something, but they don't immediately reveal to the audience what that is. Right. And it's not quite the same, but it's almost like that secret info thing that a lot of Giallo do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where there's like the one puzzle piece, but you don't get it right away. Right. Well, because they have to make sure that it's true. Mm-hmm. Like that's she was pretty sure, mm-hmm. but she has to she has to wait and know. So she returns to the city and she has a plan to try to suss all this out and figure out what's going on and reveal the killer. And they rally their crew. They kick up another shoot. And this film is crazy, the one they're doing, right? Mm-hmm. They're in like a dungeon setting almost. Yeah. Yeah. And I love it because the, the one guy's like casting a spell. <laughs> or he's getting whipped, yeah. And there's someone's like casting a spell it was, over him. Oh, uh, I was thinking like, not Jess Franco. It uh, kind of has that vibe. That's a, yeah, Jess Franco did a lot of stuff like but that. But also a Coffin Joe vibe. Yeah. yeah I can see that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even John Roland, maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they're shooting this scene, and meanwhile, Lois is editing the end of Homicidal. And was it the power goes out, I think? Yes. Yeah. And so we get that tease, that like, oh, the killer's coming for Lois now, mm-hmm. which still is, you know, casting lots of aspersion on Anne. Right. But we, we think she's at the shoot, so. Yeah, yeah. and the, the lights kind of flicker in and out, so it's almost mm-hmm. like a slow strobe effect in a way. Mm-hmm. So Lois goes to investigate. And meanwhile, they cut the lights at the film shoot, which seems to be part of Anne's plan plan that she has that we we're not privy to. And as it's bouncing back and forth between this, Lois realizes that what it was like rats that had chewed the breaker box or something, I think, right? Yes. Yeah. But then, oh no, this is the one part I forgot. I meant to look it back up again. What What is it that spurs her to run to the film set? Oh, she was editing and in the footage, oh, yeah, she yeah, saw yeah. a figure in the background behind mm-hmm. Anne. Yeah, it's when they shoot that final scene of homicidal. Mm-hmm. And she, she thinks that's the killer. And so she rushes to go and tell Anne this because that's a crucial piece of info. And we learn that the killer is at the set mm-hmm. and he's killed one of the actors again. Yeah. Yeah, he slits his throat. It's kind of off screen, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah it happens him. while it's, the lights are out. Yeah, it's pretty bloody though. And so Anne springs into action and kind of tries to catch the killer. She gets cornered. Lois shows up, intervenes, tries to save her. Killer's coming with his knife and stabs. Yep. Lois. Lois gets stabbed. Knife plus heart. Well, Lois. Yeah, right in the heart. I Lois, like, protected Anne, right? Yeah, she tried to save Anne. Yeah. Right. She jumps in the way. Mm-hmm. Then the killer runs off. And, of course, Anne is emotionally devastated at this part. Yeah. Because the interesting part is where the next scene, where she goes to the viewing, or not the mm-hmm. viewing, that's, like, would be the dead body. The showing of um, <laughs> the film, 
Yeah, there's almost like a little bit of a time jump. Yeah. You don't know how much time, but a little bit that, that now the film is finished and it's being released. Oh, but Anne's fucked up. Yeah, she's Beyond, destroyed. Like, yeah. yeah. She shows up just drunk off her ass. And I think it's during this part, too, where we get some of the scenes of, like, they check back in with uh, the Mouth of Gold, and he is, like, so depressed at the deaths that have happened in their group. Yeah, he's just staying home. And yeah. his... I think that's where his story becomes really sad to me because he emotionally connected mm-hmm. with all of these people that did not emotionally connect with him. Right. And like, he sees the beauty in every single person that's there. Mm-hmm. And like, they just, they see him as what they call him, you know, like, yeah, but they didn't really mistreat him or anything. No, they didn't, but they didn't feel the same that he did. And I think that's, what's kind of sad is that while everybody else is not so much mourning, the deaths of everyone around them, mm-hmm. he is. Yeah. He is the one who's like, they were so beautiful. They were yeah. such a beautiful person. And I don't know, he, his character just made me so sad. I get you. Cause, Makes sense. Yeah. He just never seemed like it was reciprocated. Mm-hmm. Right. Because he's not like them. He's right. not a pretty yeah. person that's going to be... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so they go to this showing of Homicidal, its debut at the theater, and it's interesting because it is the theater that they mention in the film where all her films play. Oh. So there's the through line there. Cool. Um, yeah, so they're watching it, and Nans goes to see it, and this is where we get what you were talking about earlier, Michael, where he's like, you know, he's proud that he was in the movie. There's like a dude next to him that's clearly trying to hook up with yeah. him. Like, oh, yeah. Really trying, and he's just like... No, no, no. <laughs> I'm watching myself right now. Yeah, well, he he yeah. even says, like, uh, you're in the movie, right? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, oh, I've always wanted to see the great uh, Fouad. And he's like, no, no, no. People get us confused. Yeah. I'm mm-hmm. Nans. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so the movie plays. People seem to enjoy it. And then after it's over, they kind of start showing reels for, like, other films they're going to show. Yeah, we also see a figure behind Nan at this point, Yeah, right? it's, it's, we believe it's the killer, but we don't know. They kind of got, got like a scarf around mm-hmm. his face. Oh, that's the killer. Like, Looks like no he's question. ready for COVID times, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you can see he's scarred, and he's like wearing a hat. Mm. Um, <laughs> and so Nan's goes off. There's like a party in another part of this place. Yeah, it's like in the basement or something. It's like a dark room, and you pay it's for just, a light. A, yeah, a place you can just go and do whatever you want. Yeah, which is interesting that this is where he is now. When we started with him just being like, oh, I'm not a fairy. Yeah. Seems to be into it. Mm. Do you ever realize how boring your life is? Is <laughs> <laughs> this the profound thought you were working on? For like when you're not the secret in the dark parties? Maybe. But like I see these parties that are happening and like all these places they're going to. And I'm like, man. Michael, I've got a revelation for you. We are not cool people. Yeah. I mean, there's always a part of me that thought I maybe was sort of cool, but now I realize I'm not. Well, you know, media lies to us, too. I mean, I, I have no doubt stuff like that went on, the <laughs> current scene we're talking about. But, I mean, like, in high school, you watch the movies, and they have all these elaborate parties, this massive house and stuff like that, and it's wild and crazy. I mean... No, still currently, though, like, high schoolers now, the things that go on with them and their lives, and I'm like... I was really bored. I was a loser. <laughs> Not a loser. I just... Yeah, we're, we're all nerds and dorks and geeks. We're here. sitting in a basement talking about a Neo Giallo from 2018. That's true. Yeah. I just remember, okay. like, I mean, people would people would be, are you going to so party on Friday night? And I was like, no, I'm going to sit at home and watch a movie. <laughs> that's, that's, that's who we are, man. That's, that's uh, us. I want to go to a movie warehouse and rent something, <laughs> and then uh, I'm going to go home and sit and watch it. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> We're not exciting, but we are heartfelt. So yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. 
so yeah, this this uh, Nans goes off to that party, and then um, Anne's just kind of hanging around, and they start showing you know trailers for the next films they're going to show, mm-hmm. and they show one of her early films, and she yes. even kind of like cat calls the movie, and she's like, oh that old it's thing, a, a moldy oldie, yeah. she calls it. <laughs> I'm totally going to use that phrase from now on. Um, and then as the film plays, it's kind of one of those, like, frolic in the field, like... The actual title is Semen of the Land. Yeah. Cool. Because it's about these people going back to nature. Yeah. And just being with each other and being with nature. And The whole time I was seeing those reels, though, I'm like, man, you're going to get dicks. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to get chigger bites, that's for sure. Um, and as she watches it, she realizes, this uh-huh. is the, the puzzle piece where it all clicks... This film is basically the story of Guy that yes. she had read in the article, which was that uh, well, he was in love with Hicham, and it was kind of this secret love that uh, no one knew about, and they kept it private between the two of them. And then uh, eventually, what is it? Uh, uh, Guy's father, he caught them mm-hmm. in the act in the barn, and he murdered Hicham, castrated Guy, and then set the barn on fire with Guy inside. Mm-hmm. And so everyone thinks that Guy died... But they, their body found was... his body, right? Mm-hmm. So it's obviously escaped, although badly burned. Mm-hmm. And Dickless. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other connection that <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> the other connection that Anne makes is that every actor that's in this film is the people that have been murdered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah, in the in the the footage they're showing, they see two young men in in this little cabin, mm-hmm. and <laughs> father comes in, right? Yeah. And you know he's like looking at the sun. He's like, "Oh, I knew it." And the sun gets up, and then they start making out. <laughs> Stepbrother. That was hilarious. Stepfather. Oh, man, I laughed so much. Um, and then, and then we... they burn the the little barn they were in, the little building, and they're like dancing around and frolicking around it. Mm-hmm. So it's close, but not quite. Yes, but it, but it's very close. Really close. Yeah. And so she kind of runs off that she's had this revelation to take action. Back at the dark room, Guy's shown up there, mm-hmm. and he's coming for Nans. And this part's almost really sad, I think, in a way, because he, he finds Nans, and he's going to kill him. He's ready for it. And when he sees his face, Nans looks like Fouad, who Fouad in the film was playing the role that would have been Hicham. Mm-hmm. And they also look similar to one another. Yeah, so he's seeing him as Hicham. And he just kind of breaks down and starts crying and calling out for Hicham. Yeah. And he can't go through with it. Yeah. Uh, Anne shows up. She interrupts the moment. Uh, Guy tries to flee back into the theater, tries to take someone hostage. Uh, and he makes a very fatal mistake here, which is that he kind of reveals himself as the killer in the theater in front of everyone. Yes. <laughs> this does not make the patrons happy. And we kind of come full circle on this whole, like, the fact that they're marginalized and no one cares about their situation. Yep, so they take justice in their own hands. Yep, we get a, we get a bit of mob justice as they gang up on him. Up there right in front of the screen. Mm-hmm. The movie's still well, it's interesting, they started beating him up first. Mm-hmm. And they had the knife. Yeah, the one guy grabs a knife and he's slowly approaching, like, I mean, he's thinking about it. Yeah. You, know, you don't know what he's really going to do. But then you see him, he goes he for it. He stabs him, yeah, yeah he, he dies. And they even say, well, they shout something at him too. What was it? Oh, you think it's funny to kill gay people or something like that? Yeah. I forget what they say exactly, but well, it's a slur we probably mm. shouldn't repeat right yeah. now. But <laughs> we'll, we'll let that be for the film. Yeah, um, you can watch it. Yeah, so uh, he's killed for the kind of the fear he's created in their community, and the day is saved. And then we get this like kind of flashback of what happened. It's sort of Anne like narrating the story. Mm-hmm. And she kind of like recontextualizes it as this like tragic love story where 
Guy does die in the fire, but then the blind crow revives him, disfigured. And when he comes back, he has amnesia and came to Paris. Mm -hmm. And then while in Paris, he eventually saw that film. And it triggered everything. And seeing that film brought back the memories and triggered everything and, you know, boiled up this, like, welling of hate and anger, which said about the killings. Yeah, see, I didn't need that part. Well, what I think's interesting about it is that in Homicidal, the ending that she writes for it is the killer watched all her films and it incited them into action. Right. And she's kind of been spurred on by these dreams she's been having that she can't understand. Mm -hmm. And the truth of it is, is that Guy saw her film and it incited him into action. So I thought that was an interesting, like, bookend. Oh, I agree. To the dream angle. Yeah. Yeah, it's another example of her incorporating real life into her art. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, which reminded me a lot of Blowout, Brian De Palma yes, movie from 1981. Film. I've had one of those before. And you know, we're past it now, but I wanted to say, when she goes to Chaladra to find out about the bird, mm-hmm. well, I had the film and I just lost it. What's the giallo where there's the painting that's really important and the dude goes to find the painter? Is that Bird with the Crystal Plumage? That's Bird with the Crystal Plumage, yeah. yeah. It made me think the of guys that eating all the cats. Yeah, it made me think of that scene a lot where like they go to a total other location just to get like one breadcrumb yeah. or the clue and meet some weird people. And meet, yeah, meet really weird people <laughs> that make no sense. Um, so then we get this final kind of like epilogue scene where it's sometime in the future and they're shooting her latest film. And it's sort of this like Roman. Yeah, everything's all very white and mm-hmm. almost like heavenly looking. Mm-hmm. And Archie's playing a satyr. Yeah, <laughs> prancing around amid yeah. all these people making love. Um. And kind of, Anne turns and she looks, and off to the side she sees Lois. Mm-hmm. And it's neat how they shoot it, because it's like she kind of just drifts away from the shoot. And it's just the two of them in white together. Right. And they kind of have this final little moment together. And then one of the uh, cameramen like kind of comes and taps her on the shoulder and just brings her back over to the film shoot. Mm-hmm. And that's our little final moment. Yep, Cap off Coda. the film. Yes. Knife plus heart. Knife plus heart. Damn good movie. I'm going to just say that off the top. I liked it. Should we just go to final thoughts or anything Let's, else anybody wants to say about it in particular? I might have some more notes here because I, I bet you do. Did a bunch of digging. One of my favorite things about the character of Archie, though, is the, the juxtaposition of who Archie actually is mm-hmm. and then the characters that he plays. Because when they're sitting at this bar together, just drinking and talking, you know, after the shoot and. Archie is so just disinterested in every single thing. Mm-hmm. Like, he just has this look on his face of like, yeah, whatever. Whatever. <laughs> but, like, his characters that he plays are always, like, super flamboyant. Very just emotional. Yeah. Very over the top. Yeah. And, I, I, and I love when they're shooting the end of Homicidal after he, like, well, he collapses or something during the climax. And then he asks Anne once the shooting's over, he's like, was I a good woman? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just his characters. I think he's one of my favorites. Yeah, he's really he's good. He's just super lovable and just like that perfect, like, best friend to Anne that even in the downtimes, he's like right there with her. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the director, Jan Gonzalez, he's mostly done short films. He has one prior movie in 2013, uh, You and the Night, which is apparently an erotic drama. So it seems like this might just be a through line. Hmm. There, um, his brother Anthony Gonzalez is part of a French electronic music project called M83, which I thought was worth mentioning because Anthony Gonzalez composed the score of this film. Yeah, cool. It's a cool score. I think it's if we want to eventually move into talking about is this giallo or not, it's very not fitting for a giallo film, but I think it's a very good score for this movie. It's kind of in that like modern synth wave 
style sort of thing. Yeah, I think it fits. I don't think it's like too tonally different from typical, you know, Gialli. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just my last fun note I wanted to toss out there just to show some love for it. Uh, this film has a Blu-ray release, and it's by a label called Altered Innocence. So they're a very tiny label, and they're dedicated to releasing LGBTQ and coming-of-age films with an artistic edge since they started in 2015. So they have releases of shorts, uh, stuff from all around the world, different genres, art house, everything in between. It's cool. Um, they're one of Vinegar Syndrome's partner labels that they've kind of started where they'll like stock them in their web store and kind of promote them from time to time. So if you check out this film and you dig it, there's a really nice Blu-ray edition you can pick up. It has a cool slipcase, too, where they've got like the dildo knife (laughs) (laughs) artistically painted for the slipcase. That's great. Very cool. So let's let's do this question before we have our summations. Yes. This is what I wanted to bring us to. We've talked about Neo Giallo all through the month. Here it is. So my question is, this came out in 2018. A lot of people describe it as a Giallo. Mm -hmm. My question to you is, is it a Giallo? Is it Giallo? Do you want to go first, Michael? Or should I go first? You go first. I say it is a Giallo. Ooh. And I will say why it is a Giallo. It is very close to that line where Giallo and Slasher sort of overlap one another. Mm -hmm. And blend and merge. Sure, but at its heart, all Giallo are kind of Slashers and mysteries. And this is a mystery. Mm-hmm. You know, she doesn't know who this killer is. She takes it upon herself to find out who it is. The cops are useless. Um, There's that missing piece of info. Missing piece of info that we get at the end. Um, it's very, it's got that dreamy, haunting kind of quality. It's very artsy. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, the colors. Uh, her, her uh, Which you should say, I love that every time it's nighttime, it's just like flashes of greens and reds. Uh, and I shifting. think it's that scene where she's driving off of the forest. Yeah. Where it's it's like the same as in Suspiria. It's mm-hmm. the, at, like a red and green pattern. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Um, yeah, you got your black glove killer with a cool weapon. It's giallo. I, I, I place it firmly in the giallo category. I'm right there with you. I think it, if I go back to the de- definition that I write on is that there's all these like tropes and elements and you have to check so many of those boxes before you are one. Mm-hmm. To me, it checks enough of those. that Yes. If I had any complaint, it would be that the fact that uh, Guy isn't really a character we know until the end. You right. Know, there's, there's no way to in, intuit that it's him. Right. So you're not like picking up the people. That is my only... The killer is not on this poster. That is my only... <laughs> That was my only drawback. Right. My only hang-up on that, whether that, I truly call it Giallo. That's why it rides that line right near the slasher. But. but I also think that this takes the art portion to a whole nother level. Definitely. That it almost masks it. You know, like, mm-hmm. no pun intended. Since the, <laughs> and you know, it's also interesting, the, the story with the grackle, that's almost like a supernatural element. Mm-hmm. But it's that same thing where in the end, is that really part of it or is that just a story? They never right. they never go in to say well, it, yes. It, it's also Anne's unreliability. Mm-hmm. It's like how much of it is her just drinking too much. <laughs> <laughs> I think this film is more of like... It, I, I, I'm going to agree. It mm-hmm. is a giallo. Cool, so we're all there on that. But what I think is interesting is that this film actually does something different with Giallo. Mm-hmm. I think this film shows that you can take all of the elements of Giallo, what makes a Giallo, mm-hmm. and actually put your thing on it. If we want to use that term... This... Poor choice of words. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> if we want to use that term, this film is a neo-Giallo, where they've, they've taken it and it is modern, but they're still, they you know hit all the marks. Sure. And they're doing something new and interesting mm-hmm. with it. Right. 
So I think that's where it differs from where people are calling out other films like Malignant and, um, and to an extent, Last Night in Soho, mm-hmm. um, Neo Giallo. They're just referencing like portions, right? Those are more just they have some loving callbacks, but that's not yeah. like the totality. Like of you the can't film. say you can't say that. Well, the film uses a lot of interesting colors, so it's a giallo. No. no, everything could be a giallo if that's the only requirement. Yeah, yeah. Like Argento made more than just giallo, mm. but colors are a theme of his. Mm. So you can't say that every Argento film is giallo. Oh yeah, because like Inferno has crazy colors, and that's. Yeah, that's a so far horror, removed. Yeah, really, and no. Suspiria is not a giallo. Mm. So, no, I think this is, and and I think that could throw you though on on knife plus heart because it is so artistic. And I was thinking it the whole time. It's very elevated. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is though. Um, that it could throw you and be like, well, this isn't giallo because what we typically see giallo is is sometimes throwaway. You know, like the <laughs> whole. It's any, it's any genre. So I have a point on that. I, I said I showed this to Tiffany. And she had some thoughts and comments about it. So when it finished, I said, you know, did you like it? She really loved it. She thought it was excellent. She said it was probably the, her favorite of any of the Gialli I've shown her. Huh. But then she said, I don't know if it's a Giallo. And I asked her why. And she said, well, one, it was really well made. <laughs> and all the Giallo you show me have been kind of crappy. Two, I really liked it. And I could understand everything. And I didn't get lost at all. That was kind of her counterpoints. Which I thought was interesting. Those are arguments against it, you know, <laughs> not being a giallo. I mean, she, right. she has a different perspective, right? Where right, she's not right. like immersed in it, and she's only seen the few I've shown her. Some of which, like, she loved Bird with the Crystal Plumage, yeah, but cool. I've shown her some other ones, and she's just like, you know, oh, fucking what is this? This right. isn't even in the same room or the same planet as like Death Walks on High Heels. Mm-hmm. These movies are so far apart in tone. And time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's true. And time. Death Walks on the Hills was, what, 50 years ago almost? But they do share the same story elements. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they hit the same notes. They're just tonally, I think, is... I think this film shows that you can take a different tone mm-hmm. on Giallo than what is typically done. Yeah, it's more than just an Argento film, you know? <laughs> and then, Jason, we've talked about it a little bit. We've talked about it more off-air, I think, but... Uh, there is a statement that a lot of people make that like Giallo can only be Italian. So this being a French film, I wonder what you thought about that. Because I don't know if you're a proponent of that, but you've jokingly I have brought it up a lot. That, yes. uh, no, I don't. I don't really think that. I think it helps. Mm-hmm. I think it you know adds to the authenticity. You know, but it's not necessary. Mm-hmm. Especially as long as it's European, I think that helps. Right. <laughs> I don't know why. It's just there's something to the vibe, yeah, the, the air of it, yeah. It's and you that, know, even it's that continental style, even this too. Like it's always like there's a focus on like a high society, and I don't know if you would, you know, hazard to say. I guess it depends on who you are, whether like this, you know, industry that they're in is, is that high society or not. It's an artistic society, but to them it is. I mm-hmm. think no, but I think it's. I think what you said is important, and I'm not saying this as a slight by any means. But where this is such a juxtaposition and a flip mm-hmm. on Giallo, we typically deal with high society and this is low society mm-hmm. in terms of how they're viewed. Yeah. By, so, by like the people around them. Yeah. yeah by, by how it, you would be. But like you would look at uh, like Delirium and you would automatically see anyone involved in that as high society. Which the cops are very helpful there. Yeah, exactly. Right. But then you take and then, um, Death Walks at Midnight. You know, it's Valentina. Everyone knows who she is. And yeah, they all, they all love her. We don't typically see quote 
low society, you know, yeah. of the people that it's a fun subversion. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. which I honestly I think that's what makes it stand stand out. I think if it didn't do all these things, I don't. I'm not sure it would have a place in. It's more than just style. It's actually saying something. Yeah, you know? I'm not sure it would have as much of a place in the Giallo world if it didn't do these things to really be like, "Hey, you think you know? Fuck you, you know." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was surprised to find it actually has relatively good, um, like ratings, like on Rotten Tomato and stuff like that. Yeah, I think in general the reception I've seen overall has been pretty positive. Yeah. Which is cool. So maybe we should get into our final thoughts now, speaking of ratings. Let's do it. Michael, where are you at? I think I'm going to sit on a solid four. Nice. On this one. I don't want to watch it again because it was really depressing. Yeah, it's a heavy film. Not saying that I don't want to watch depressing films again, but sometimes like you, you experience it and you're like, okay. And it's interesting because there are, there are so many fun parts in it that if you just like take that part out of context, like... You know, this part's hilarious. It's so much fun. Yeah. It's so funny, so entertaining. But in the totality, those are kind of like levity breaks. It, they ha- they almost have to be there. Yeah. Otherwise, you're going to be sitting there like, Jesus Christ. Otherwise, you get like <laughs> Lars von Trier. <laughs> <laughs> and like you're jumping out of a window halfway yeah. through the film. Gaspar No or something like yeah. that. Yeah. I liked it more than I thought I would. Because from the first few scenes, I wasn't digging it. I was... Really? I liked the tone. Mm-hmm. And I liked... I remember um, you, you joked in our, our group chat for the podcast where you were like, oh, I think Dustin baited us with this film. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> it's just, it's just gay porn. Like there's, it's just gay porn. But I think the film does so much with character mm-hmm. that really makes you, which is all great stories. If stories have great characters and right. you get involved in the characters, it becomes a great story. Mm-hmm. And they're all so complex. There's just, I don't even think there was one simple character in it. No, not really. Even characters that didn't have a lot of screen time felt like there was something to them. Mm-hmm. Like so. even the detectives, you have that juxtaposition of the one that like couldn't give a shit at all, but then the other one, he he kind of like is sympathetic to her. He's cause. like, I know what I should do, and they don't they don't explore it, but you get just enough that it's like in the end he decides to do the right thing. Yeah, to the degree that his like position lets him. Right. So, I don't think this is a great entry, Giallo. If no, you're no, 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 this is advanced studies. Yeah. <laughs> if you're just getting into the genre, this is not one to jump right on. Mm-hmm. And this is not going to be for everybody. Probably not, no. And I do think you have to open your mind quite a bit to to watch this. It's I a, kept thinking I would like I would like to watch this with someone who's like terribly homophobic. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh god. That would be so amusing to watch them just melt down. It, well, it could be a challenging film, but I also think it's an important film. And that's yeah. why it's one yeah. I would always try to push to people. Well, I was telling you guys beforehand that like when I watched this, I knew the heating and air guy was going to come to my house at <laughs> some point that day and he didn't really give me a time frame. Um and like if you walk up to my window you can kind of like peer in and see my tv and like i saw him come up and i was like pause 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 stop 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 because <laughs> i think it was like right on a blowjob scene or something or like right where the dildo is out yeah and i was like oh oh <laughs> if i'm watching tv upstairs i have to shut those blinds because <laughs> <laughs> man that's the first time i met that heating and air guy and he's gonna be like the fuck <laughs> so yeah solid four for me i definitely think i could e- i could easily recommend this film nice uh, I think I've praised this film enough already, so it's kind of maybe obvious. One star. <laughs> when I first watched it, I rated it a four. And watching it the second time, I was kind of like, you know, I can't even agree with my first rating. I just think it's so good. The message, the themes, what it focuses on, what it tries to do, 
you know, you're right, Michael, it is elevated in a lot of the ways that we would say, like about like a hereditary or uh-huh. midsummer or something. I just love it, like start to finish. I think it's such an amazing film, such a powerful film, and I would give it five stars now, to be honest. Wow. I can yeah. see that. High praise. All in. I agree with Michael at four. I uh, expected. The, oh, 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 okay. Huh. Yeah. I, I thought well, if now you, it's three. I thought if you liked it, it'll be a four. If you don't like it, you'll probably be like two and a half or something. Wait, you were knocking a star off, though. Huh? You were supposed to knock a star off. Oh, yeah. What was I knocking a star off for? So for some reason, where Jason subscribes to Shudder through Amazon, which you need to knock that shit off. I know. That's how Karen set it up. I'll have to change it. Um, that's it's that's not, recorded now that you've blamed her. Oh, shit. Can you cut that part out? <laughs> <laughs> it's not available. Yeah, like I would put oh. in Knife Plus Heart, and it wasn't showing up through Shutter, so I had to actually rent it. So he texted me, and he's like... That's automatic one-star deduction. Yeah, he was like, <laughs> it's not showing up. How did you watch it? And I was like, on Shutter. And it, for some reason, I was a smartass, and I was like, I just searched Knife Plus Heart, <laughs> and it showed up. Like, he didn't try that. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't know. I was searching... Uh, <laughs> like, that wasn't the first thing I did. I was looking for gay yellow movie, and nothing <laughs> showed up. Well, you know, I was worried because I said that, and then I thought, like, you know, rights do change, and I hadn't checked in a while, but then when I went and looked, I yeah, was like, yeah, it's, it's still on there. it's supposed to be on there. I checked yeah. their website. But anyway. So um, what you're saying is that Amazon has a problem with this movie. Apparently. They're trying mm, to keep people from seeing it for some It reason. is strange. I still, I still sit heavily on the fact that Jason just doesn't know how to operate anything. <laughs> that's, that's entirely <laughs> possible. <laughs> I struggle with social media alone. <laughs> Um, but I, th- I think it's a great movie. It's very stylish. It's very fun. You're invested in the characters. And like you say, every character pops. You know, There's something about it that keeps me from going to the five. I'm mm-hmm. not sure what it is. For me, it's the high art. Like I there think, at times. I think it lags a bit for me when she goes to the forest and stuff. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of. Eh, I, I just know. love how weird that part is. It's very weird. Maybe that's pro- my problem's kind of incongruent with everything else. And that's where like my Lynch love kicks in, which I know you're not as big on Michael. Like the the Mulholland Drive vibes kick in. I'm just like, yes, take me to this weird, wonderful place. <laughs> Get me lost in bird hand, man. <laughs> but no, I would I would highly recommend it. If you're into the Gialli, if you're into slashers. And unlike Malignant, it is a Giallo. Absolutely. I hate it that we just ended this episode talking about that shit. <laughs> well, let's not end it talking so about that shit. This was the end of our first like block series that we've done. For Giallo January, all about Gialli of many kinds. We've seen the 70s, the 80s, a modern one. Lots of eroticism across the ones we did this time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely write in and let us know what you think of this. Is it worthwhile doing a series of three films kind of on a similar topic? Yeah, let us know what you think. Uh, yeah, we want to know what you think for sure. Um, so next, we're going to be doing a listener episode. Woo-woo! Digging into the vaults. We've been stacking these up. Please keep sending them. We want more. We always want more. Um, and this was one, I think we've wanted to cover it since it came in. Mm-hmm. And at first we just wanted to wait till we had our format figured out more so we could do it justice. And then we've, we've been sitting on it and I'm excited to get to it. So, um, we actually have like, he wrote us a long letter about this film and why he loved it and why he was suggesting it. And I'll probably read that I think on the episode. Oh, that'd be cool. Um, it was really well written and like made me want to watch it. And yeah. I was like, do you want to? Do you want to do a podcast with us? <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're going to be checking out The Beast of War from 1988, directed by Kevin Reynolds. And this is a war movie. Yeah, which, which I'm a fan of. And how, how this a war movie escaped me in the 80s, I have no idea. Because my dad and I watched like all of them. 
So Probably wasn't on USA or TBS. <laughs> right. <laughs> and we'll get all into, into that and why this was recommended to us next time. Um, and it, I was doing some research right now as of this recording. It is streaming on Amazon Prime for free. Woo! Maybe not for me. We'll find out. Maybe not for Jason. He's in another world, I guess. <laughs> um, so yeah, Beast of War next time. Awesome. As always, thank you so much for listening and putting up with our bullshit rants <laughs> and weirdness. Sorry, sorry, Scream 5 fans. And weirdness and all the shit that we do. Uh, continue to write us. We absolutely love your comments. Anytime they come in, we like have giddy text messages to each other like, so-and-so left us a comment. I know, I saw it. I went and replied. Um, <laughs> but we love it. It's kind of why we do this. So keep doing it. Uh, John, exposure at gmail.com, on the twits, on the instas, on the faces. Right? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. That's what all the cool kids are yeah, saying. Yeah, that's that's kid slang. So until next time, you've been listening to Genre Exposure. Bye everyone. Take care. listening to the prescribed films podcast network home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment the shows on this network all have a common goal providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media the pfpn hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com thanks for listening